In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sit down. With God's help, we will continue on with this talk. Now we've come, thank God, to talk 30. Talk 28 was an introduction which was some to do with um, do we help the dead or do the dead help us? That's talk 28. Talk 29 was that if the saints are saved, what happens to those who die in an imperfect way? Last fortnight, I read from quite a lot of sources from our Orthodox tradition, from lives of saints, from the writings of the saints, etc. And we discovered that those who die in a way which we say that they weren't saints, that they died with imperfections, with sins that were slight sins or small sins or sins that were greater sins but they never had time to struggle, that they go to Hades. Now, people get mixed up with Hades and they think it's the same as hell. Hell, as we read today during the Sunday of Judgment, which was today's feast day for every Orthodox church, whether new calendar or old calendar, is the Sunday of the Last Judgment, which says that after all of us have received our bodies, after the resurrection, when Christ comes to judge, then those who have done evil will go to hell and those that have done good will go to heaven. In other words, hell is a state. Heaven and um, hell are not places like we know, not physical places. They are spiritual states. Now, hell begins to exist at the end of time when everyone has received their bodies, those who have done evil, as those who go to heaven when they receive their bodies will receive the full blessedness of heaven. Hades is what we call an intermediate place. It's a place that the souls go when they die, if they died with imperfections, with sins. So we know that when we die, our souls come out and we don't have a body. And those souls wait in Hades until the second coming. There are some who will be free from Hades through prayers of the church, and there are some who will not. Who's who, we don't know. I want to continue on this theme because last fortnight, towards the end, I went a little bit too quick, and I wanted to present this, and this will be the last talk on this topic for a while anyway. Now, if you remember last fortnight, I read for you from a book called Councils from, Hol from the Holy Mountain, which we have, by Elder Ephraim, who is just, who's still alive and he's the one that's established all the monasteries in America, or many monasteries in America, around 18, not including the 10 in Greece. And he is a spiritual child of Elder Joseph, who is one of the contemporary elders that he died around 1950-something. And he was a, a great saint of the Orthodox Church. And Elder Ephraim, as was Elder Haralambos, which is also of Manathos, which we also have his book, and there was another one who just died recently, another Elder Joseph, 
um, they were all spiritual children of the great Elder Joseph. And Elder Ephraim, I read something about the priest who, who got drunk and then he, etc. those things you remember last time. But I read the first paragraph. And what I did is I read the first paragraph right through and I didn't really explain it. And what I, what I found is that basically all of you missed a most important part. So I'll read the first paragraph only of what Elder Ephraim says. He says, Do you know how much help the departed seek? When we study the word of God, we have to study every word. We tend to be diligent, like careful, really precise in worldly things. Women are really precise with their hair, with their makeup, with their clothing. Men can be really precise with their boats or with their cars, etc. We are precise when we want to study people and look at their faults. We are precise for our houses to make sure that everything's beautiful and nice so that everyone can think that ours is the best or that no one judges us. There's all these things that we are precise. We're precise with making our careers, when we go to university, making sure that we give our assignments at the right time so we don't, get, so we don't fail, and everything else that exists. Except what I've noticed is that we aren't precise, that we aren't diligent, that we aren't careful, that we don't have zeal when it's to do with studying the word of God. A lot of these things that I read last time are in the books that a lot of you have read. Elder Cleopa, there's another book which just came out, Elder Thaddeus, which is a Serbian saint, and Soul After Death, and so many books that you know we have here. This book, The Memorial Service, The Soul After Death by Father Seraphim Rose. Then we have The Eternal Mysteries Beyond the Grave, which is a very popular book that's been around for decades, which is produced by the Russian Monastery in Jordanville. And a lot of those things that I read and will be reading today come from these books. And people have said to me, I've read these books, but I never, I never understood what you just said in the, in the past fortnight about Hades and souls and being helped and all these type of things. People say, I never heard of it. And for some, it caused a lot of problems, including clergy. And I must admit that I was a little confused in this topic myself. And it was only after I began to study it more to be able to present this talk that I began to discover more than what I thought I knew. Remember when I said last time, why do we do panahitas? Why do we do what we say in Greek, mnemosima? Why do we do memorial prayers? Why do we do it? To make us feel better. Some say, oh, we do it for the souls. But why do we do it for the souls? And then we sat down and we studied the memorial prayer, as we'll be studying many other prayers today. We studied and we looked at what does the priest say? What does the choir say when they're singing in the... Uh, Panahita, in the, in the memorial prayer for the dead. Grant rest. Give them a place with the saints. Free them from sorrow, sighing, and all these pains and things like that. In other words, the memorial prayers are saying that when we're praying for the souls, we are assuming that they are in distress. And then we read St. Nicodemus and many other saints that said that, that the memorial prayers, that's their purpose. Some people got upset with that and said, oh, that, that can't be right. 
That doesn't sound nice. How does the church teach such things? And what happens today, as Father Seraphim Rose says, everything is done in a way which is comfortable. This is a Western spirit. A Western spirit is one that everything's comfortable, even to the point of medication, of everything. I feel like buying something. I really desire to buy a new um, uh, DVD player or something like that. And in the old days, people would, with a bit of pain, struggle, save some money, cut down on some things, put money on lay-by, whatever they used to do, slowly, slowly, with time, and buy what they wanted to buy. But the West says, no, we don't do that. What we do is we have credit cards and you buy things quickly. When you've got pain, we take medication quickly. When you want enjoyment, it's got to be quick. Everything's got to be straight away and comfortable and easy. But that's not how we as Orthodox believe. So, when we hear things like souls going to Hades or um, like we heard today during the Sunday of the Last Judgment where there was, which I'll be reading, which I'll be, yes, I'll be reading that now. Today's feast was the Sunday of the Last Judgment and... I picked a few parts from the service. Some of you don't have access to the service in English. You only hear it either in Greek or Serbian or Russian or Slavonic. But you don't know what's being said. By listening to the service, like what we heard today of St. Xenia in English, slowly, slowly you begin to be absorbed into the Orthodox services. From Orthodox services... One receives full theology. You don't have to go to a theological school. That's why the monks say, why go, a lot of the monks of Mount Athos say, why go to a theological school? Theology is the Orthodox Church. It's, it, it's her services. It's reading the lives of saints, struggle with your passions, etc. That's theology. And a true theologian, as the Holy Fathers say, is one who has received grace such that he sees God. Now, how does he see God? You ask me, I would say, I don't know. I haven't reached that state. However, it is a state of purity where the Holy Spirit dwells in the person. That's a theologian. Not someone who's gone to the University of Athens or Thessalonica or whatever in America and have studied theology and come out and think that they know everything. Let's read some theology We want to learn about the last judgment. Well, let's read some theology and see. It says, Fear and trembling beyond all description are there. For the Lord will come and try the work of every man, and who will not mourn for himself? Fear and trembling, and who will not mourn? And this is referring to Christ on the last day. And people say, no, but Christ is love. I remember I did a talk once uh, for the last unction service that we did, and I said, on the, on the last day, God, Christ, will be merciless. There'll be no mercy. And someone heard that and said, oh, that's not right. That doesn't sound orthodox because God is full of love. Yes, God is full of love and God is wanting us to repent. 
But on the last judgment, that's it. And it actually says here, that's what it says, full of fear and trembling. The ri- and another one says, the river of fire devours and torments me. This is very uncomfortable for, Western, for the West to hear these things. The gnashing of teeth. The river of fire devours and torments me, so people with their teeth grinding. The darkness of the abyss fills my heart with dismay. And what can I do to gain God's mercy? Because on the last day, there will be no mercy. Spare, O Lord, spare thy servant. Do not deliver me to the bitter tormentors, to the cruel angels in hell, who will never let me be at rest. This is very harsh. Remember another time when I, when I, I remember when I did a talk and some priest heard it and said, oh, he's mentioning the devil, if you remember. And I mentioned that to you and he ran straight away um, uh, like a tittle-tat and went to the bishop and said, oh, he speaks about the devil, he's going to scare the people. Why do this Sunday of the last judgment? Oh, that's right, no one understands it anyway, so no one's going to get upset. Because most people, when they go to church today on Sunday, hardly no one hears it in a language they understand. Let's go away from this nonsense. This is actually demonic. This is a work of the devil to make people to believe that when we go to church, it's really nice. And as the Protestants say, when you go to those Hillsong places, and they go, when you come to us, you become rich and you become powerful and all these type of things and successful and blessed and blessed and blessed. Everything's to do with blessed. But in the Orthodox Church, we say that orthodoxy is a religion. Yes, it's a, it's a faith, but one of suffering because it's only through suffering one gets saved and people don't want to hear that. Now, this one here is quite harsh too. When thou shalt come, O righteous judge, to execute just judgment, sit on thy throne of glory, a river of fire will draw all men amazed before thy judgment seat. The powers of heaven will stand beside thee, and in fear mankind will be judged according to the deeds that each has done. Then spare us, Christ, in thy compassion with faith we entreat thee, and count us worthy of the blessing which those that are saved. Now some can say, see, the prayer, the, the trapari is saying to spare us. But that spare us, O Christ, does not mean on the last day. It means now, while we're alive. We're actually saying this. Don't let me, O Christ, be one of those who go to hell. Spare me. Have mercy on me. Count us worthy of thy blessings with those that are saved. People get mixed up there. I like this one. Remember, these are written by saints. And you might say, oh, the saints didn't think like that. But that's how the saints thought. Look at this. Alas, black soul. So the, the saint who wrote this is actually speaking to his soul and he's calling his soul black. Black, what from? Sins. And you might say, but how does a saint have... Saints had to struggle with their passions. While they were struggling with their passions, they began to see, as all of us, if we really struggle, we begin to see the disgustedness of what's in our souls. A person who does not see within their souls filth, evil, corruption, has not progressed. There's not really progress in the spiritual life. I come across people, I speak to them, and you cannot sense at all one ounce, using the old system, one ounce of humility or self-knowledge. Now, someone might say, 
But that sounds like a person that's got low self-esteem, a person that's depressed, a person that always hates themselves. And Elder Porfirius explains that. That's a different person. That's a mentally ill person who con continually says things like that. But an Orthodox Christian who has this attitude still struggles and has hope in God's mercy. And through that humility, they develop love, faith. They do in their good works. That's different to a person who's continually saying, oh, woe is me, I'm off, I'm ugly, I'm this, I'm that, I'm black, I'm this, I'm that, or whatever they say. That's different. That's, ment that's, that's a mental illness. A person who continually puts themselves down, which comes really out of pride. And then there is the other thing of what the saints teach us. Alas, black soul, how long will thou continue in evil? See the attitude that an Orthodox Christian should have? We should always say, I'm always doing evil. I'm always inclined to evil. How long will we continue to be lazy? Which Orthodox Christian can stand here and not admit that they're lazy? If we, if we weren't lazy, we would be saints. But what's the difference between the saint and us? The saints had this diligence. They would always be struggling and praying to God. They wanted to be with God because when they pray, they commune with God. Why? Because they love God. Why don't we pray much? Because we don't love God. Why does thou not tremble at the dread judgment seat of the Saviour? The person who's writing this is saying to his soul, why don't you tremble? Sometimes we lose the fear of God. And we need to have that fear, both. I've said it before, it's a balance. On one side, like a seesaw, on one side, to be a balanced person, you have to have the fear of God. Fear not to offend him, fear of his greatness, not to break commandments, etc., and fear of hell, as Elder Siluanos said from Mount Manathos, keep your mind in hell and despair not. And the other side, we have what's called God's mercy and love. Some people go too much, they go, oh, God's love, doesn't matter, God, God will forgive us. Oh, we break the fast, God will forgive us, God will forgive, God is merciful, God is... You know, and that's true to some but that's overdone, so they go down in the scale towards hell. Over here is the other one where it's um, where we either don't care, we don't have any fear at all. Oh, sorry, where did you say that? Over here, sorry, is when a person has excessive fear. That, go, that tips the scale down too much. We keep a balance. We see God as merciful, as a compassionate father, as a loving father, but we also see God as a person who will judge both the living and the dead and will condemn those who do evil. We look at both. We must get that balance. So that's why this saint here is writing, why don't you tremble, O soul? How many of us really tremble in a proper way that we're going to go to hell? When I used to go to Manathos and visit holy elders there, and I remember when I used to speak, speak to them, which you don't even hear much in the world, and they used to say things like, am I going to go to paradise? Will I be saved? You know, um, God, have, Lord have mercy. So that's where the Lord have mercy comes from. Lord have mercy from, from their souls. Lord have mercy. I haven't done much. 
I'm slack, I do everything wrong, I don't struggle properly, but you have mercy on me. So they're acknowledging themselves and, they, and they're repenting. But they used to say, you know, I, I, will I be saved? Many great saints, right up to their death, would say, I don't know if I'm going to be saved. We read that in the lives of saints. I don't know if I'm going to be saved. And these were great saints. They said, how do I know that what I've done was proper? How do I know it wasn't done in the wrong way, in the wrong motivation? So, uh, thy works will be there to accuse thee. So our works, when we go to the judgment, will be there. All our bad deeds will accuse us. Thine actions will approach thee and condemn thee. O my soul, the time is near at hand. Make haste before it's too late and cry aloud in faith. Now we come to the hope. Because if you just keep on pondering about the judgment and hell and God's going to be harsh, if we keep on pondering on that, we go into hopelessness. Whatever gives us hopelessness is not of God and or, or it's a mental problem. Now we show the balance. Look at how he ends it. All the top was all full of, in a way, um, negative, let's just say negative things of hor- horrible and sphere and accusing us and things like that. Then we go on and says... Make haste before it's too late, in other words, while we're alive, and cry aloud in faith, I have sinned, O Lord, I have sinned against thee, but I know thy love for man and thy compassion. O good shepherd, deprive me not of a place at thy right hand in thy great mercy. Look at that hope, that balance at the end. Yes, we're scared. Yes, we think that we might not be saved. Yes, the judgment will be harsh. Yes, our deeds will condemn us. Yes, we're lazy. Yes, we're not, we don't have fear of God. We don't have fear of the judgment. But we take all those sins to God and we say, I have sinned against thee. I know thy love for man and thy compassion, a good shepherd. Deprive me not of a place at thy right hand. In other words, grant me a place in paradise in thy great mercy. And I've read in the lives of saints where a lot of the fathers would say, I don't want a high position in paradise. I don't even know if I'm going to get in. As long as I just get in and the door closes, as long as I just get in, even if I'm in the lowest place, I don't care, as long as I'm in. Because they didn't know what position they were going to have. Because in paradise, there's all different levels. Remember when someone died and they, they went to heaven and then they saw a lot of saints and they said, where's St. John Chrysostom? They didn't see St. John Chrysostom there. And then some of the angels or the, or the saints, other saints said to him, where God, the Trinity, where God is, where the throne of God is, if you can think of it like that, there is St. John Chrysostom. In other words, that St. John Chrysostom, being such a great saint, is close. He's experiencing God's grace and joy and blessedness in a stronger way than other saints there. But our attitude should be, I just want to get in, as long as I get in. When the thrones are set up and the books are opened and God sits in the judgment, what fear will there be then? When the angels stand trembling in thy presence and the river of fire flows before thee, what shall we do then, guilty of many sins? The books will open of our good deeds, of our bad deeds, and there will be the river of fire, 
When we hear him call the blessed to, of his father into the kingdom, come thee, as we said, as we heard today in the gospel, so those who heard in English, um, come ye, rejoice and receive the blessedness of the father and in the kingdom, but send the sinners to their punishment who shall endure his fearful condemnation. Then we go, the balance. But saviour who alone lovest mankind, king of the ages, before the end comes... Turn me back through repentance and have mercy on me. This is not referring to after death. This is not even referring to those in Hades. Because we know that in Hades there is no repentance. You cannot repent once you're dead. And that's why he says he, through repentance, have mercy on me. So if we can't repent once we're dead, who remembers? How then does one get out of Hades if, if liturgies have been done and prayers, who remembers? There's no repentance. We can't repent. So then how do people get out of Hades if they're able to? Who remembers? So, yeah, we said through the liturgies, through almsgiving, through prayers. But how, what is happening so that person can be released? There's no repentance. We said last week, last time that there's no repentance. So how does that person, because you need to, the person's got sins, so he must be getting out because he's been, what? Cleansed. Cleansed. He's been forgiven. God forgives. Just simply because he can, because he's full of love, he grants forgiveness to the person. Because as I said last time, that the Protestants say, oh, that's wrong. You can't use memorial prayers for the dead. The Orthodox are wrong. Because in the Bible it says clearly, there is no repentance in Hades. Once you've died, you cannot repent. And we said, yes, that's correct. You cannot repent in Hades once you've gone. Repentance is here. However, if you are in a position to receive, which we're going to go on to, about, if you are receptive to God's grace, you are able through the prayers that people are doing for you, through the prayers of the church, we are, you are able to receive God's forgiveness. But God's forgiveness cannot be given to all. It depends on their life when they die. Because some people die with small sins. We, hear, we heard last time that small sins can be forgiven. But when someone dies with horrible sins and die unrepentant and, and uh, stubbornly unrepentant, this is a very big problem. So, let us not listen, even if they're theologians or bishops or priests or monks or nuns, I don't care, lay people, whatever. It, when someone says to you that, oh, it's too harsh, too harsh, we don't speak about the devil. We don't speak about hell. We don't speak about judgment. Those people are heretics. They are actually distorting the church's teaching because today, this Sunday of the last judgment, I just read you what was actually sung and read in the church today and last night during matins. That's what was sung. And to me, that sounds quite harsh in one way, but hopeful in the end where we actually see the balance. Yes, God is going to be unmerciful at the end, so let us use our time to repent and be ready. Now, some say the Orthodox Church uses scare tactics. We shouldn't use scare tactics because 
That's not good to use scare tactics. Now, those of you who watch TV or those of you who have access to the media will know that scare tactics are used, but they don't seem to say anything about that. Now, you've got this hor horrible image of some person squeezing the lung, I don't know what it is, and all this stuff's come out showing the uh, cancer and showing lung cancer. Then you've got on the packets of cigarettes people with green, black teeth and black livers, and they show on TV people being killed in car accidents because of alcohol, and they've got all these negative type of things to scare people not to take drugs, etc., for the youth. But you know what? None of that's working. But the point here, because there's no spiritual, they've taken out the spiritual from, from society, and they think that they're going to make children not to take drugs or not to drink or have sexual um, encounters and get diseases. And they think all these things are going to help them to wake up. It doesn't help. They've been doing it for decades. It doesn't help. But my point is, people seem to be more negative against the church's teachings regarding some fear that she teaches, because the church teaches these things, in a way to waken people up. But there's no negative about that. So, Christ himself, in today's gospel, when we read the gospel today, they are Christ's words where he says, you didn't visit me in jail, you didn't visit me in hospital, you didn't give me to drink, you didn't, didn't do this, and go into the eternal fire with the, with the devil, etc. Christ himself says that. And who's Christ? What? Is Christ another nice person? Is he a philosopher? Is he like Buddha? Is he like Muhammad? Is he like Confucius? Who, who is Christ? Christ is God. And when we come along and we judge God's own words, then what's left for that person who does that? Let's continue on. Now, last time, I read for you Elder Ephraim, which I read a little bit again, some other examples of in Russia, in pre-revolutionary Russia. And I also read from Elder Kleopa, which is a Romanian elder, contemporary. I think he died not even 10 years ago, if I remember right. There's another one which I didn't get time to do, and that's Elder Thaveos. Now, before I do that, I wanted to say something. And I want you, I want you to remember this, because this is a very important thing. Some of you, and as I've already heard, others have said too that have heard the cassette, the, the CD, have said, I've never heard this before. I've never heard this before. So it's like I'm teaching a heresy or something. How do we know if this is correct? What did I tell you last time? I said to you, when you want to see if something is orthodox, we look at a cross-section of our church's history and saints and writings. So I said that the apostles, when they wrote and developed the liturgy, had prayers for the dead in, in the liturgy. St. James was the first liturgy, which we only serve once a year. But in there, there's a reference of asking God to forgive the sins of those that have died in the faith. Then I read for you St. John Chrysostom. I read for you St. John of Damascus. I read for you... St. Mark of Ephesus, I read for you um, 
Saint Nicodemus the Athenite, which is around 18th century. I read for you Elder Cleopas, which is late, lately. Elder, uh, all these great saints right across history. So I went and found, because I remember I got mixed up the other day about the, um, what is orthodox. And and I think I need to, okay, I read it all out and said, remember I said to you, there was a great saint called St. Vincent of Lorenz. And he said, how do we know if a teaching is orthodox? And he said, it is orthodox if it is believed everywhere, always, and by all. So the three things are, when we look at the teaching, first we ask ourselves, is this belief held throughout the church universally, everywhere, whether Greece or Serbia or Russia or everywhere? That's the first thing we look at. Is, is it a universal teaching? Secondly, did our fathers in the faith, the orthodox of past ages, in other words, of all times, hold such a belief? Is it just something which is taught now, like ecumenism? As they say, oh, that's orthodox to pray with heretics. But the point is, where is it in the past? Anyway, is what I'm reading for you, this thing about the, um, the prayers of the dead and Hades and all that, is that being held by orthodox fathers of all ages from the beginning to now? Yes, because I just told you. First centuries and fourth century and etc. and goes on and on and on and on. That's why we have a cross-section of saints to show that it's not just something which is by one saint. We don't have to believe something which is by one saint unless what that saint says has been accepted by the whole church. Like St Basil. St Basil wrote some wonderful things, but that was accepted by the whole church. Everyone accepted it. And the third one, does this new belief or this teaching or whatever enjoy the unanimous approval of all the church authorities? So we say, which is believed everywhere, always and by all. If something's believed everywhere in the world, where Orthodox churches have been or are, at all times and by everyone, then it's orthodox. That's the uh, teaching of St. Vincent of Lorenz, who lived, I think, around the 6th century, if I remember right. And that's why I've taken this approach. I even spoke to a senior priest once, and he said to me, oh, but in my father's house there are many mansions. He quoted that from the Bible. And I said to the person with respect, I said, the, um, the many mansions means the many degree, the, the different degrees of perfection. So, as I said before, as long as we just get in, that's a lower degree. It doesn't matter where you are in heaven, whether you're very close to God, experiencing God in the fullness, or experiencing God in a lesser way, you've still been perfected. You have been purified of your sins. Those who have not been purified of their sins need the memorial prayers. And then I said to this person, that's what we pray for, and I explained that. And the person understood it because the person had humility. But I'll tell you, a lot of clergy have been confused, and a lot of people have been confused and thinking, what's going on? Well, let's see what Elder Thaddeus says. Elder Thaddeus is a Serbian elder, and he died in the beginning of 
2000, somewhere around there, not long ago, less than 10 years ago. Let's see what he says about this topic. He says, in this world, it is possible for a person to make great effort and labour for the good of his fellow men, yet for his soul to remain soiled with sin. I've said this in the past, not, that's nothing new there, that someone can do great works, we can do great charity, we can do great humanitarian work, but a person can do all that, but their soul can still remain dirty. The, the soul can still remain with sins and passions. That's what makes us different. As Orthodox Christians, we are called not only to do good, but to rid ourselves of our passions and our evil and our sins, to repent, to be cleansed, etc. That's, that's what the whole of Lent's about. Not just to do good little things, give some money and things like that, which are good as well. But the main purpose is the cleansing of the soul, which is what Father Saint Seraphim Masarov did. And he became uh, a vessel of the Holy Spirit. A person can pass through most of the toll houses, yet be pushed into Hades as he reaches the toll house of mercy. Now, the toll houses, as I've said, which we'll go into this another time, the toll houses are just basically demons, because as our fathers of the church teach, that the demon's place is in the air. And what they do is they linger around the air, tempting people to sin, but as well they're in the air trying to obstruct souls who are trying to reach, who have come out of their bodies, that have died, and they're trying to ascend to go towards God, and they're obstructed. Remember when I said to you a, few, a while ago, I said, we can find sparks of truth even with those who are not orthodox. The orthodox church has the fullness of the teaching of the, of the church, everything, of what's needed for salvation. Billy Graham, who is a Protestant evangelist, who was like he was quite famous back in his years, and he used to preach and convert people to Christ. He came to Australia, went, I think, to the Ramwick um, race course there, where there was thousands and thousands of people went to see him including Catholics, and he was preaching there, and a lot of people, he would say, come up if you want to accept Christ, and supposedly they were like, by accepting Christ, they became Christians and things like that. Now, I'm not here to judge about that point. What I want to say is this, that he's Protestant. He does not have any idea of the orthodox teaching on the toll houses and all the things that we have. We have the fullness of everything. And do you know what he said? This is a Protestant. He said, when people die and their souls ascend to heaven they are obstructed by the demons in the air and when I read that I go I, I read it in an orthodox book where they were quoting him I go what an amazing thing that God still in his mercy can give sparks of truth to everyone whether Muslim, whether Jew whether um, Catholic or Protestant or whatever sparks of truth because some people don't have access to the Orthodox Church. But you know what? We, as Orthodox, we will give so much word to God where God will say, wait a minute, you had everything at your disposal. You had Orthodox services, you had the saints, you had icons, relics, you had the relics of, the, of saints, you had all the books, you had the priests, you had everything, and yet, and yet, you didn't do anything for your soul, hardly anything, 
you weren't diligent, but then we've got these other people which aren't orthodox, who are to their best ability trying to struggle for their salvation, howbeit like a bit in a way crippled because they're not fully got what we have, but yet their zeal for the truth, even even they actually come to some true statements that are orthodox. So, you know, we shouldn't always say, oh, we're better and we're this and we're that and we're this, because that's, that's like a pride. Now, some can say, so are you saying that we shouldn't say orthodox is the truth? When the saints said orthodox is the truth, they said it from their hearts with humility, with so much love that they were praying within their hearts for all to come to the church to receive the benefit of the church. But a lot of times when we say it, we say, oh, we have the truth. And we look down like we heard two weeks ago, the, the Pharisee and the publican, that oh, we're not like those others who are not orthodox. And this type of chauvinism is actually demonic. Yes, the orthodox church is the truth. But when you say it, it depends on how you say it. So Billy Graham, a Protestant, actually even knows about the toll houses to some degree, even though I don't think he's even read any Orthodox books. Now, does it mean he's going to be saved? How do I know? I don't know if I'm going to be saved. That's not my business to judge Billy Graham. God will judge him according to his conscience. As the saints say, we look at ourselves. But don't you have to be Orthodox to be saved? We who are orthodox, who know the truth, if we leave the church, that means we are, in, we are consciously knowing that the church is the truth. We leave the church, we go to hell one million, billion, whatever, to infinity percent. Because we know the truth. God judges, as we're going to read later on, what bless me, the Holy Spirit, etc., is a person who is conscious of the truth and denies it, is different to a person who is ignorant of the truth. God will not judge those who are ignorant of the truth in the same way as he judges those who have knowledge of the truth. In other words, who will be judged harshest of them all? Us, who are orthodox. The saints who understood that, they didn't sit back and go, oh, we're orthodox and we're the best. They were too busy trembling and saying, we who have the truth, we who know the truth, will be judged. And that's why we read examples in the lives of saints there where it says that there were pagan, those, some saints saw a vision of hell and he saw a pagan priest in hell. Then the saints said something to the, to the pagan priest. I remember he goes, below us, below us, there are orthodox bishops, there are orthodox monks and priests and people below us who are suffering worse than us. So when we know that, when we know that we will give word for knowing the truth and just throwing it to the side and being slack, I don't think we will say, oh, we're orthodox and we're the best. I don't think you can say it after you know that. A person, he said, can pass through most of the toll houses because every single, there's, for every passion... There's, there's a demon, the demon of um, love of money, a demon of hate, a demon of uh, anger, etc., etc. 
Now, what's this one? He says, there's the toll house of mercy. Actually, because I read it the other couple of weeks ago, the 20th toll house, the last one, is the toll house of mercy. How we show mercy to others. And he says that most people don't get through that. Don't get through the toll house of mercy. For in spite of all his efforts, he failed to notice that his heart was firmly bound to the powers of Hades. He may have performed many good deeds in his lifetime, this person. Many souls may have been even saved because of his efforts. Say he built churches, he could have done even preaching, who knows what the person did. But if he did not focus on the cleansing of his soul, then the attachment of his thoughts to the world will not permit him to enter heaven, which can only be perceived by clean souls only. Now he says, only those who have their pure thoughts, who have got rid of all their evil thoughts, and only heaven can be, can be given to those who have clean souls. And remember I said to you that when people read that, including myself in my years of, of being in the church, you kind of become hopeless and say, well, wait a minute, you have to be clean completely, you have to have no thoughts that are bad. You have to be cleansed of your passions. And another one says, unless you are completely absorbed in God, you cannot be saved. We hear, we read all these things. And, we, and some people say, well, what's going on there? That's like, like, how many Christians die like that? People say, it's like it's hopeless. But the point is, it's not hopeless as we will see as we go on, as we read last time, and we're going to see again, it's not hopeless. We strive for perfection, but we may not reach perfection. And that's why God does all that he can to help us to be purified, even if we don't ourselves know how to be purified, because remember today there's such a lack of spiritual fathers, there's no real guides, because really, for one to be cleansed, we need a, a, a holy spiritual father who will guide us. A holy spiritual father like Elder Joseph, people like that, who knew the soul, who had struggled themselves, they knew everything about the soul, and they were able to say, okay, that's from God, be careful of that, do this, this is, this is the correct medicine for you, cut down on the fast in there, do more here, read that, do... We don't know. We can go to a spiritual father and go, Father, I'm, I'm, doing the, I'm doing the prayer, the Jesus prayer a little bit, and I'm feeling, I'm feeling this niceness in me. And an inexperienced spiritual father can say, that's good, that's from God. But in reality, it's not. It's actually demonic. And that's because true spiritual guides are those who have been, strictly speaking, who have been purified of their passions. Someone who, like the Optiner elders, they were purified of their passions. And only then were they given the blessing to be able to guide souls. Saint Seraphim of Sarov, he did not guide souls until he had struggled and struggled and struggled and purified himself, where he became a, a, a vessel of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit dwelt in him. Then he got the command from God, open your doors, stop now living on your own, stop being a recluse, open your doors and help people. And people would come to him, Father Seraphim, I'm, I, um, I have these thoughts and how, what do I do? You do this, you do that, 
for that you do this, be careful of that, I'll pray for this, be careful of that. How many spiritual fathers can do that now? So what does God do? He sends people afflictions, sicknesses, difficulties, pain. Why? To help the person to be cleansed, to prepare them more and more. That's why Elder Paisio said, such a gift God has given us in that he's given in, in, in our, during our times a lot of cancer. Because cancer is a ticket into paradise. That's another cruel thing. Oh, how can you say that? People don't speak like that. Unless you say that something nice, you know, like say nice and go, oh, you're going to go to heaven, doesn't matter what you believe, what you feel, doesn't matter. Anyway, but for Orthodox Christians who want to be saved, and I emphasise want, some of you use computer, want, bold, underline, and make it 26 font. Want to be saved. That's very important. Who is able to receive God's mercy in the next life if they die without proper preparation are those who want to be saved. So those who want to be saved, then there's no you know, spiritual fathers to help us a lot of times, etc. We read the books. We still go to the spiritual fathers that exist in humility. But God will see your humility and if he sees that a person is really seeking, even if the spiritual father might have some ignorance in certain matters, a lot of times he can still enlighten him. Or, and or, whatever, he can send us these afflictions and problems, etc. Someone that dies in our family, that's an affliction, that's pain. Elder Paisu says a divorce is a big pain as well. That's a very, very big cross to carry. Bringing up children. So many things are given to us as a preparation. So, don't become disparaged when you do read these things like what Elder Thaddeus says. He says, which can only be perceived by clean souls only. That's true. Such a person is under the spirits of wickedness according to the level of his unmercifulness. When we are unmerciful, we are actually being driven by the demons who love it when we are unmerciful. Now, now most of us of us will say, oh, I'm not unmerciful. I give $25 here and there to the Red Cross to make myself feel better. Elder Paisios, I heard this story. I'm assuming it's true. It sounds like he would say that. He came to Australia many decades ago and he noticed that he was once walking in the street and he noticed a dog got hit. And a lot of people gathered around to, and they were worried about the dog. And he said, oh, this is this Australia. Are very, Australians are very merciful people. They're very merciful people. Like, they're really caring. And then a little bit later, he noticed that there was a pauper on the street. And he noticed the people just walking past. And he goes, what's wrong with this country? What's, what's going on? By the way, on the topic of um, pets and things like that, we're going to give word because today 
with grooming and with all these things that people do for their dogs and cats, they pay a lot of money. And now I've heard that they're setting up full-on hospitals, full-on hospitals with the same equipment that they use for human beings, full-on. Those breathing things, like I've seen some documentaries where there's a dog on the, on the operating table with, what's that thing called? Resp resp respirator. Everything, like same as what they have for human And people are paying up to $25,000 for full-on operations to give their dogs uh, um, hip replacements or to cut out cancer. Now, in the old days, and this might be very coarse for some, in the old days, you used to put them down. You don't go and spend your people... Now, people might ask me the most stupid question, so is it a sin to, to spend so much money on animals? And to that... I won't even answer because the, 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 the question's stupid. There are so many people in need. Someone, someone said once, actually I think, I think it was um, a Protestant fellow who said that uh, the pets today, dogs and cats, are African killers. And uh, so people say, what's an African killer? He goes, well, a lot of that money that they're spending on the animals can feed people in Africa, but we don't. So we just spend it on the animals. Now, humanly, people will say, but how about the children that fall in love with the dog or the cat, etc.? And the answer to that is it's your fault because you taught it to love it that, to, to that extent. What I teach people with young children is go to nursing homes. The Russians have nursing homes, Greeks have nursing homes, I think even the Serbians have nursing homes. Go take your children from young, like Saint Alexandra, the, the, the wife of the Tsar, Tsar Nicholas. She used to take her children to to um, hospitals to visit the sick and help them. Go teach your children that. Teach your children to take from their belongings to give to the poor. Make it a habit. Not to wait when the child's old and tight and selfish and unmerciful. And you know what? A lot of us have been brought up like that. And that is why when we read the parable of the rich man where it says that he lived such a, a life which was beautiful food, etc., and Lazarus was outside his door. And Christ, in the most brilliant, obviously being God, where he says that he didn't even give him some crumbs. Some crumbs. We know that people that are well off, a lot of times, they, they throw away like loaves of bread and Things that they don't care. While other people that are a bit poor, they go, oh, no, I'm going to keep that piece, I'm going to do that, etc. They try to economise. But rich people, a lot of times, they don't care. They just throw away things. Now, this rich man, he had so much he could have given to Lazarus. But not only Lazarus, he could have given stuff to many, many beggars. But he didn't give, as Christ said, not even a crumb. And what does the parable show? It shows, Christ says, that he was, he was taken to hell. And there he was suffering and he was asking Abraham, I'll send Lazarus to put his finger in some water to give him because I'm burning here, etc. Et they said no. Oh, but my brothers, can you, can you send Lazarus to, to warn my brothers? And then the, the parable says, if, they don't, if your brothers don't believe Moses and the prophets, meaning the Old Testament, because it was a, he was talking about the, that period, why would, why would he believe if someone rose from the dead? If we don't believe the Gospels, if we don't believe Christ, if we don't believe our saints, 
Are we going to change because someone's going to come from the dead to tell us to be better people? I mean, some people are a little bit on their disposition as we read in the talk 28. But in general, that's not necessary. We have the Bible and we have our saints, we have the writings, we have everything. But all of us to be very careful that even if we are pure in all ways, but we lack mercy, we will not be saved. And that's what Elder Thaddeus is saying here. Such a person is under the rule of the spirits of wickedness according to the level of his unmercifulness. The more he's unmerciful, the more the demons have power over him. Even during his earthly life, he's in their power. When his soul departs his body, such a person will be in their power. As St. John of Cronstein says, every passion has a demon behind it. If we've got a passion of anger... There's a demon behind that which makes us to get angry. When we die, if we haven't been cleansed of that passion, then the demon of anger will take control of our souls. But this is where we need some hope because people are saying, but we've got so many passions. We don't fall into despair. Read on and we see what happens. We, Elder Thaddeus continues, he says, we should not mourn the dead. But instead, pray fervently for our departed loved ones that God may grant them to dwell with the angels. Last fortnight, I read that St. Nicodemus says we should mourn the dead. He's saying, Elder Thaddeus is saying, we shouldn't mourn the dead. Now, this is where I said in the beginning of the talk, we have to be diligent, study. That's why some students had intelligence, but they were slack at school, for example. But some people are not careful to read and say, let's think about this. Instead they go, oh, contradiction. That's a contradiction. The saints don't even agree with each other. But there's no contradiction. We must read carefully the words that the saints say. And we will give word for not doing that. When people get magazines, especially women, and they read the, the stories of the stars and who they're having a relationship with and who they're divorcing, and then later on they actually are able to speak to a friend and say, I read today that, 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 as if they've got a DVD in their brains. And they seem to know everything because they're interested Howbeit, it's just stupid to be interested in such stupidity. But nevertheless, they're interested. When a person wants to uh, study, to be something, and they do really well, why do they do really well? Because they're interested. A person wants to make money, so he reads everything. He reads what that person says, and he reads a book on making money and finances and, and investments, etc., etc. Why? Because they want to make money. Doesn't mean it's going to be worthwhile, but let's just say they do it. But for the word of God, we're not diligent. We're not careful. So let's think about it. We have to force ourselves to think. Saint Nicodemus said we have to get. We have to get Saint Nicodemus's writing again. Let's read what Saint Nicodemus says. Then we get what Saint Elder Favell says and compare and see. What Saint Nicodemus says is that we shouldn't mourn for those who have died in faith and have been saved. But as for those who died with imperfections, he says mourn for them, 
because they have um, not been saved. You need to mourn for them because they are not in a very good place. Now, Elder Thaddeus is saying, don't mourn. But here he's speaking something else. He's speaking about those who overdo it. Obviously, we're going to cry when someone close dies to us, to some extent. Everyone, the Buddhists cry, and I said the Muslims cry, the Jews cry, our Protestants die, the Catholics, everyone cries. It's a thing, because you're losing someone. But in general, everyone cries on a level which is human. They're crying because the person's gone. Or they're crying because they died early and they're not going to have children or they're not going to see their grandchildren or some other things like that. Always emotional things which are not, not really important. Whether someone dies and they had children or didn't have children. Or whether someone dies at 21 and he was just one month away of graduating to be a lawyer, 22, whatever it takes there. So what? Or if someone dies, you know, and they, got, they just got married and they never had any children and they died. And everyone talks about things like that. But that's not important. On a worldly level, maybe a little bit. On an emotional level. But that's not important whether someone has children or studies or whatever. The most important thing is, how did the person die? Did the person die ready? Where is the person now? What can we do for that person? And Elder Favels, he's saying that um, we should not mourn the dead, but instead pray fervently for our departed loved ones, that God may grant them to dwell with the angels, that God may give them paradise. That's what we should be more putting our effort into. Yes, we're going to have a cry. Yes, we're going to be a bit sad, but let's get to work. When someone dies close to us, let's get to work. And what's the work? We read it in the first talk on Talk 28, what St. John Maximovich said and a lot of other saints, start working, ring up the priest, get him to come, get him to read the prayers over the body for the departure of the, after the departure of the soul. We read that as well. Uh, ring up monasteries, start to order 40-day liturgies and not to forget to give money for it. And pray yourself, give alms, Get your money out from the bank, whatever you've got, or even if you haven't got much, God looks at how much it ouches. If you've only got, say, someone's got $1,000 and, and that's, that's all they've got and that person gives 100 well, that's a bit painful for that person because they haven't got much. But if someone's got 100000 and gives 1000 well, that's not really much because that's not going to ouch them. It's nothing. It's just like a little flick. In other words, his love for the soul is not much. Give alms for the poor. Pray. Ask others to pray for him. That's what the work is. Not like when my father died, I remember. Um, I had just entered the church. I was just, when he, when he passed away, so I was maybe one and a half years in the church. And um, he passed away. And these silly Greeks came and started to say things like, um, put a glass of water there near the bed because the soul will seek to drink the water. That was the first stupidity. The second stupidity was that we have to cover all the mirrors in the house. Uh, why? What's the purpose of covering? These are all superstitious people. The devil loves superstition. And most Orthodox Christians are, as Father John Romanidi says, a great theologian, and a, and a follower of the Holy Fathers, he says that the Orthodox Church has become a church of 
Superstitions. People's superstitions. They don't understand the truth. Everything false, they say, and everything true, they don't even know about. You say to people that something about the, um, say someone's died, and they go, I never knew that. You speak to someone, I never knew that. I never, but they say all stupidities, bananas in other words. They say all ridiculous things. People don't even know about the soul or anything like that. So the devil loves to inspire people with superstitions as long as they're not knowing the truth. And why doesn't he want them to know the truth? What does he want them to know? That you call a priest that does the prayers for the departure of the soul before the, even when the person's dying or after the person's died. There's a canon the priest does and he prays for the soul to come out, to be freed, to be forgiven, to find safe passage. There are so many things. People don't know that. And therefore, souls are losing out because of people's ignorance, but in a way, it's their own fault as well because they produced children, a lot of times if they're older, who are ignorant and their children don't take care of their souls. Or they weren't close to Christian people, even if your family's not Christian in a way, they're not really practising orthodox. You hang around with people who are, so that when they find out you died, they straight away go and pray for you and ask and, and order liturgies, etc. Or you arrange it yourself if you know you're going to die. And if you didn't know you're going to die, obviously, you have some sum of money there and you tell your close person, look, when I, if I, something happens to me, I want you to use that money, give it to the poor, give it to the monasteries for 40-day liturgies. When St. Monica, the, the mother of, of St. Augustine, uh, a Latin saint, but still one of ours, when uh, she said to her, her, her son, who was a bishop, and she said to him, my son, I want you, one thing I want from you. What do you want, mother? I just want one thing, to commemorate me at the liturgy. That's what she wanted. Why? Because she knew that that is the biggest help one can get. And all our saints, doesn't matter how progressed, they all organise to make sure that they are um, taken care of later on. While we might organise for our graves to be done and have beautiful marble and pay ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 for granite graves, that, that's not going to help the soul. That fifteen thousand could have went for commemorations and for um, and to the poor. That's not going to help the soul. And people organise this beforehand. So when people come, they will see the beautiful, the beautiful grave and the Catholic angels and hearts and arrows through hearts. These are not orthodox. These are Catholic things. They don't even know. They don't even know to put orthodox symbols on their grave. They actually put Catholic things on their grave, which is a heresy. I've even seen on Orthodox graves when I go for a walk sometimes at the cemetery, statues of Saint Fran of what they call Saint Francis of Assisi. Well, what Saint Francis of Assisi got to do with us? So he goes on, and he says, "We must pray for our loved ones. We must not be sorrowful and depressed because why? Excessive sorrow for our loved ones who have left the world is not a Christian act." 
We shouldn't overdo our grief when someone dies. It doesn't help. Why? He says it's because a, but an act of godlessness. Why are we crying? We, now we have to trust in God's mercy. We have to pray to God that, that those souls are saved. We prepare ourselves in this life, eternal life. We must be thankful for everything and thank God, taking the souls of departed ones who love him. He also, did he say here that the person, the person can become sick from overly um, grieving? And remember what I said to you as well, when people are locked in and that causes mental problems, when they're locked into something that's happened in their life, maybe their mother died or something happened, parents are divorced, all these things that could have happened or, you know, you, you could have become a great sports player. But then some, I remember once this fellow rang me up and he said to me that he's got all these, all these, all these mental issues and asking a few questions, asking a few questions, all his mental problems started when he believed, probably because his parents... Um, told him in, like, um, that you're going to be a great soccer player. You're going to be great. You're going to be a really world-class soccer player. And later on, he hurt his leg and he couldn't play soccer anymore. And from then on, he became locked in and he couldn't come out of that And until he became sick. We must let go and we mustn't um, focus on things which are detrimental to us. Everything has an answer in Christ. If our parent died when we were young, obviously for a child who's young, he's not going to understand. But if you teach him as the best of you can, and as they grow up, they will understand. Whether it's the divorce, or whether someone's sick, or whether something happened in an accident, or whether you, you, know, you lost your job, or so many things. I remember once a person that she lost her job and then she started to drink and take drugs continually, continually because she was focused that she couldn't get over that they got rid of her. Everything has an answer in Christ. We say, okay, that's it. God allowed that to happen. We move on. Let go. And people are taking medication unnecessarily because they're fixed on things that are... Just with their own, they themselves have made themselves sick by, by focusing on that. And you see people say, I got better now. How'd you get better? I just said that's it. So in other words, they made themselves better by just saying, I'm not going to worry about that anymore. People that get sick when they didn't get into university, for example, and they go, I could have got into medicine and they didn't get in. And they just go on all their life, all their life, they continue on thinking about how they could have got into medicine. So it's the same with death. Don't lock into something because, as Elder Thaddeus says, you will become sick. It says here, um, here, by morning, we not only can destroy our own health, but we can not harm the peace that the souls of the deceased have received from the Lord. So I'm going to read you another story about that. When we grieve excessively, we actually are doing damage to those that have died. And I will... Let me finish him first, and then I'll come back to that. 
And he said here, if they have departed this world without having repented, we must pray for them that God might forgive their sins. There's the answer again, what I said. He is um, fully in agreement with all the saints that we've read. If someone has died, but has not died in full repentance, then they can be forgiven their sins through the liturgies and almsgiving. That's why we do those things. We must perform acts of mercy in their name and in their memory for the peace of their souls and God will accept such acts of love. When we pray for someone out of love, when we love someone, like Saint Xenia, when we read her life, and I did that in talk number 10, and at the time, I don't know if I told you this, but when I was doing that life, I realised that why she became a fool and why she dressed up like her husband was because she couldn't, well it says that as well, that she couldn't get over that he died unrepentant. He died while he was drunk. He was drunk, he was at a party, he was wild and he just died. And that affected her. She wasn't spiritual and he wasn't spiritual. But later on, because she, she had so much love for him, she thought to herself, what happened to his soul? Then she went away. They say she vanished for a while. Obviously, she went to monasteries and searched. And she found out that his soul's in danger. And that's when she decided, maybe for blessing from a holy person, to become a fool for Christ. She dressed up like her husband in the same type of clothing, wearing red and green, because he was a, like a soldier, I think he was. And to do all works of mercy, all good deeds in his name. Everything that she did, she prayed for his soul and she did good. While, while we were reading that, I actually said at the talk, and if I remember right, I said something which I wasn't sure that I should have said. I go, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that because I'm not sure of it. And it was that um, even though that he died in a, not in a very good state, that her love that she had for him was so great her love was so great that her effort that she put in for his soul, which, by the way, made her holy. She wasn't struggling in the beginning for herself. She was mostly struggling for him. But through that struggle that she did, she actually became holy. And in high chance, she saved her husband's life. But when I said that, I, so when I said that, I said, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't have said that because I wasn't sure but now reading a lot of these things, I'm starting to think, oh, I was actually right at that, at that time. That was the purpose of her thing, that she was doing everything for the salvation of his soul. Now, it doesn't say whether he was saved or not. Only the Lord can free a soul from the meshes, from the traps of thought in which it became entangled while in this life and which was still bound in eternity. Only God can free such a soul. Not Buddha. Not the Pope. Only God. So we say that you are the only one without sin and only you can have the power to forgive sins. Only you have the power to release the souls from their suffering. And he says here, we must pray for our loved ones who are deceased. It is the most we can do. Pray that God grant rest to their souls and give their baptismal names. Those lists that you people give, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be rude, but Dianas and things, I don't know, what's, that's not the baptismal name. You must put 
in the list baptismal names, not short names, because it doesn't count. I don't know that's not a baptismal name. I don't think it is. I'm not sure, but I don't know if it's a Saint Diana. Therefore, we pray for those and give the baptismal names to priests and higher monks who serve holy liturgy every day so they may pray for their souls. There are priests, monasteries, who pray every day. And there are priests who serve the liturgy every day. Now, Elder Haralambos, up to the time that he was able, up to about 90 years old, as you read in his life that I just read recently, of, the, of Manathos, he served liturgy every day. Elder Ephraim, I believe, who's now at Arizona, served liturgy every day. I remember when I was in one of the monasteries in Manafos Karakalu, where there was a higher monk there who served liturgy every day. And in many skeets and little houses in Manafos, little huts where people, where monks live, maybe one, two, three people, uh, or at least two to do the liturgy, there are monks, priest monks, who serve every day. Now, why is it important? Because these people, by serving every day, have learnt, have experienced the liturgy to such an extent that their prayers are, are, are incredibly strong and help the souls. And that's why he says, priest monks who serve every day. St. Eustin Popovich served every day. Every single day. St. John of Cronstein served every day. St. Nicholas Planas served every day. So that's on Elder Thaddeus. Father Philothos of Arcos, another great father of the, of the church, but not canonized as yet. He gave a story that once a couple came to him for confession, a husband and wife, and they'd lost their only child, a daughter, who was a pious, God-fearing student of theology whom they loved dearly. The wife bore up bravely under the blow of death. The wife took it. She actually, in a spiritual way, like I said before, she didn't go on and on about it. She accepted it and she said for God to, you know, she prayed to God for her soul. And she would light an oil lamp for her and obviously did whatever else she did. Now, the, the husband, as I said before, he wanted to get sick mentally. So he fixed in his brain that he couldn't accept that his daughter died. So the husband was completely the opposite. He shut himself up in the house, blasphemed Christ, and blew out the icon lamp. One day, however, he fell into ecstasy. He went to paradise. So one day, God's permission, he, he, he had a vision, then he went into paradise. And there he saw his daughter. He was astonished because although she was in paradise, in a beautiful land, not in a literal sense because there's no land in paradise, Remember we said that Christ allows us to see heaven and hell in worldly ways so we can understand it. And he saw her dressed as a bride. She was bitter. What's the matter, my daughter? Here you are in this, in this midst of joy, and, but you're not rejoicing. Father, how can I rejoice at what you are doing by blaspheming Christ? So it's my fault that you're not happy, said the father. Then the husband woke up, thoroughly shaken and overjoyed. He had a shave. See the depression, how it gets. 
He had a shave, dressed in, the, in his best, and went out shopping for the first time since the death of his daughter. People gave their con- condolences. We're sorry to hear about your daughter, you know, how they do when people die. And he answered, no, I want congratulations. So then the person who writes this, I think, Elder, he says, so that is how relatives on earth can harm souls in heaven, by overcrying, by overdoing it, and not working on the soul of the person, we can do damage to them. Let us be careful when someone close to us dies, otherwise there is a fear of harming their soul. Let us become better for our own benefit and for that of our departed brethren. By we improving, we help our, our um, relatives. And here it says, this person who wrote this said, um, um, an inspired ascetic, like a, a great ascetic of Mount Athos, had said, quote, the best remembrance service, the best panahida, the best mnemosimus, we say, the best memorial prayer for our departed ones is our repentance. The more we repent, the more we can help others. When people come up to me and go, how can I help my, my mother or my father or my brother or whoever they say, I say to them, have you repented? How is your life? Do you have something in your soul which is burdening you? And they said, yes. I go, well, that is not going to help you. It's not going to help your departed one. Because God does not listen to people who have burden, their conscience is bothering them with sins. There was a young man whose sister was living, I think I've said this story before, his sister was living in sin with a fellow there. And the father died. And the brother said to the sister, do you know that our father actually will have a lot of problems in the next life? She goes, why? Because he never advised you to move out. He never told you that you shouldn't be living in sin without being married. And she had a lot of love for the father. She goes, really? He says, yes, he's not in a very good state. You must move out. And then she said, oh, but if I move out, he'll leave me. And then the person said, well, if he really loves you, he's not going to leave you. You say to the person, we can't live like this. We either get married or we break up. And she started to cry and she goes, oh, it's very hard to do that. But how about the father as well? So she was in a dilemma, but she decided to listen. She left the home of this person and she went back home. She got out of the situation that she was in. And then, if I remember right, the story, a few days later, he approached her and said, let's get married. So a couple of months after the father had died, at least she moved out, hopefully fixed her soul up, went to confession, uh, and they got married. So we are going to give word as well for how, what, what we leave behind. Imagine a parent dying when God gave the responsibility to that parent to take care of that child and someone can say, oh, well, uh, I remember once someone was here and they got upset because I said that, um, well, 
Why is it necessary to do these dates and go out, etc.? I mean, even, the, even a lot of Protestants know that. It just causes more problems. It causes uh, people to get depressed when they break up. They fall into sin. And the person said to me, well, how are they going to meet then? Well, let's read. Let's read what the fathers say. Let's read what the church says. Let's read what Christ wants. Let's read what the saints say. We say we believe and we don't even believe in prayer to say, God, uh, and teach your child from young. When, as you grow up, you pray for God to send you the right person. But instead, what do we teach them? To marry someone who's handsome or someone that's good looking or someone that's popular, all these type of things. And that particular father, he made a mistake. He did not correct his daughter, but thanks God, because the brother was in the church, got the, um, the, the girl to move out, and that helped the soul. Our sins obstruct our loved ones. Fix, we have to fix ourselves up so that we can help our loved ones. There's no point in praying in front of an icon stand and saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, please have mercy on my mother or something or on my child because the prayers go up and bounce off the roof because we have our conscience soiled. Our conscience is burdening us. Now, that's the end of the first part. Are there any questions? Um, can I just ask if um, you could comment on um, the, the way that some people seem to die around their saint's day or their birthday or on the anniversary of, of, of the death of another person or particularly on a, on a feast day or in Holy Week because we have been led to believe as lay people that these people have some certain blessing from God that they have died on, on a feast day in the church or around Passion Week. Um, could you just comment how we should look at, upon those, um, on those types of mm -hmm. events? I have noticed on our calendar that sometimes we see a saint, Saint Luke, the Apostle, but on the same day there are these, all these other Saint Lukes that seem to have died and um, Metropolitan Philaret, who was part of the Church Abroad, um, he died on his favourite feast day, which was, I think, the, maybe that was when he was born, of Archangel Michael. And there's a lot of, of, the, of our holy, uh, of holy people who died on days which were quite significant. To, to be able to interpret whether... Others that have died on certain days, whether it has some spiritual significance, it's very hard for us to discern because we don't have that gift of discernment. Perhaps it was something good. Perhaps it wasn't. What's suspicious is that you might say, not you, but we might say, someone passed away um, on near their feast or on their feast day of their name's day, but that person had nothing to do really with the church much. Then you kind of then you, you know can we really base any significance on that? But then there's others who were leading quite spiritual lives, and um, who was it? Uh, Saint Eustin Povich, for example, his favourite feast was the um, Annunciation. 
He died on the Annunciation. Elder Joseph, I remember, I'm just guessing now, I think his was the Domitian. I think he died on the Domitian. And things like that. But these are holy people that we know are holy. As for everyday people, whether it's got significance, only really if someone is a God-bearing elder who has that discernment will be able to say, that's significant, that will be helpful for that person, etc. It's very hard for us to know. Um, exactly. Now, the others who say, um, which I read the other day, someone said, oh, my child or someone died in Bright Week. That's the week after Pascha. And that has a special thing. It means they're saved. See, we can actually go to the point where we actually start going into some type of delusion when we start looking at those things in an undiscerning way. We can't say that because someone died on Pascha or after Pascha that they're saved. That's not in our power to know that. So that type of practice, we have noted that in the lives of saints, but if we start to apply it into our everyday life of other people, there is a chance that it can lead us into, dece into deception, like the woman who said, oh, my, I think it was her mother, died on, on Bright Week, therefore she's saved. Anyone that dies in Bright Week is saved. That's, I've, never, I've never heard of that as a teaching of the church. Does that help you in your... Because I'm just saying that when you're in church and, and you hear of somebody dying at a particular time and they'll say, oh, but that's good because he died in Bright Week. But, but what does it mean? Yeah, well, that, that, what does it mean? What does it mean? How do we interpret Well, we can say, uh, for example, I know someone who died on the Archangel Michael. Now, the Archangel, this person was a person who used to live giving out books and he used to especially like, he was a very much against ecumenism, for example, and he used to give out a lot of books and tapes to do with ecumenism, and he died on the Archangel Michael. And I said to the wife of this person, I go, do you know that the Archangel Michael is the patron saint, one can say, of the fighter of heresy? But then she went further. I just said that, but leave it at that. But she went further, and they started to smell things around the grave, and there was incense smells, and even though it was windy, you could still smell the incense. It basically got to the stage where the husband was going to be canonised the saint. And it goes on and on and on. That's why our elders always give cautions. Don't pay too much attention to those things because they can lead us into deception. A simple thing, oh, that's a blessing for that person. They died on the domission of the mother of God. That's a blessing. But we can't say they're going to be saved. We don't know. We must do the memorial prayers. We must pray for that person. We must do liturgy. We've got to be careful that it doesn't lead us into deception. Was that any other question? I wanted to ask you, uh, is purgatory in the Catholic Church similar to Haiti? Is that the same thing? We, uh, we mentioned, that's a good question. We mentioned, I don't know if I have to say, we mentioned that last fortnight about purgatory. And I will, I will on the next section speak about that because I wanted to clear that up. I did touch on it last talk, but thank you for reminding me. I have to speak about it because some people went to Catholic school, unfortunately. Some people have been influenced by that and they've got in their idea this thing about purgatory and we need to explain it from an orthodox perspective. Do we believe in purgatory? But what, and if not, what is the correct orthodox teaching on the matter 
of that, and we will explain that in this after the break. No. To be in short, it's a heresy which the Orthodox Church rejects. But we will. We. I want to talk. About, thank you for reminding me. Yes. They tried to obstruct them and take control of them, yeah. yes. Yeah. Because you have stayed at some monasteries and some places where they, you know, like, I mean, I go to study, of course. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've noticed in some places they say some of them are saints, but, you know, the, the actual spiritual thing there, you know, it's quite negative and everything. You know, there's a lot of distracting things happen. So, you know, like, sort of answers what you were saying, you know, because the spirits are still, well, how come they haven't gone, they're still on the earth then? Or? Which, the, the souls? Yeah. The souls are trying to obviously reach heaven, but there is, they have to go for the Thai houses. Now, the Thai houses is a, is trials. They're demons, which are all the passions. Mm. And they try to obstruct the souls. If we have not cleansed ourselves of a passion, then they have power over us. The only way we can get away from their power is when people pray for us or when the angels can give good deeds that we've done in exchange for our sins and things like that. Now, there's a book which one day I'm, I want to do, it's, and it's up the back there called um, um, on, on the Toll Houses. It's only a thin book. And it goes through the 20 toll houses. And I, and I read it the other day and I said to myself, this is a very good thing. I want to do that one day. But I don't want to do it too close to this, but maybe next towards the end of this year. But the positive thing about, if there's any positive that we can say, of the toll houses is that through the liturgies, through the almsgiving, that means when people give money to the poor on our behalf, when people do good deeds in our behalf, that helps us to be free. And there's a little story I'm going to read about the Thai house as well. The prayers of people, the prayers of saints, the prayers of our relatives help us to be free, even though we could be guilty to some extent on certain things, but the prayers can help us to be free from that. Let me go to the next step, the next step, the next step. That's why it's very, very important to pray for people after they've reposed, because of the fear. The mother of God, when she was about to depart, she knew about the toll houses and she feared them and she asked a special favour from Christ and said that she didn't want to go through them. What that's trying to tell us is how fearful they are. But people can say, oh, it sounds so hopeless and so bad. But this is why we have to struggle hard while we're on earth and we have to prepare ourselves as much as possible to be rid of our passions. If we don't get rid of our passions because of weakness or we didn't have time, this is where the prayers of the church help us. That's what I said before. The most important thing is we want. Remember I said want, capital, bold, underline, big font. Want to be saved. The want to be saved can replace even that which we didn't have in the first place because God looks at our heart. He looks at our disposition. It sounds hopeless, 
But when you read through properly and you read the lives of saints, you see that it's not as hopeless as what we think. Um, but I will explain purgatory after the break or during that next thing. And on the toll houses, I think we need to do that. But the most important thing is we all are going to have trouble as we read in the... Um, as we read in this um, little, little story, which actually I might just do because it's a very short story. Yes, it's, it, it, there was um, a Saint Cosmas of the Bulgarian monastery in Manathos of Zografo. He, it says he was a discerning elder and as an old man and a solitary, he saw, so he was an old man and as a holy person. He saw from his cave, wherever he was up in the mountain, he saw the monastery Hilandar, which is a Serbian monastery, which is very close to Zografo. He saw the following. He saw the abbot of Hilandar ascending up towards heaven and trying to pass through the toll houses and he was being tormented by the demons. Cosmas, Saint Cosmas, immediately sent someone to Hilandar and said to them, quickly start to pray for the soul of the abbot. This was after matins. That was the morning service. And the monks had just come out of church with the um, elder. And they said, when they heard the message, they kind of laughed and said, how can that be so? The abbot just finished matins with us and he just left to go to his room to prepare for liturgy. How can you say that he's passed away? And obviously he was saying, pray for him, pray for him. When they went to his cell, to his room, they found that he was dead. So the Holy Elder saw that the abbot of the monastery had departed and that he was being obstructed by the demons. Those stories are there to help us to understand the difficulty in being saved. Salvation is not easy. We want everything to be easy, but it's not easy. However, the monks were praying for him. And that's what we should do. Immediately after someone passes away, we must begin to struggle for that soul immediately, not to waste time, not to think about money, immediately ring up a monastery, immediately ask the priest to come, immediately, liturgies, liturgies, money to the poor, etc. And we can help a person tremendously. That's what the, the toll houses are. These prayers of the spiritual father, the prayers of relatives can help us to go through the toll houses to be able to go to heaven. And if we don't go to heaven, if we don't make it, we go to Hades, as we'll read in the next part, we'll see there that there's still help, even for those who didn't make it, who went to Hades, there's still help there. Uh, the break now, is it? Mm -hmm. Ten minutes break, and we will continue on. As I mentioned in the beginning of the um, talk, and it's a practice that I have, and I hope to inspire you people to do, the, to do the same. So the practice is especially to read the... Con I used to call them modern-day fathers, and someone said to me, someone can think that you're talking about modern, meaning that they're, that they're really um, progressed, modern people. I don't mean... When I say modern, I mean contemporary. Fathers, saints that live in our times. As I said before... Elder Haralambos, who was a spiritual child of Elder Joseph, the Hesychus, 
he's, um, he just died a few years ago and I actually met him when I went to Mount Athos back in the 80s, I think, if I remember right. I met, this, I met him and he was a man that was really into the prayer, the, 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 prayer, the, the Jesus prayer. The first thing he told me is you must pray, pray and do the Jesus prayer. And he, in his book, on someone that's wrote, written his book there, there's a little section here, and I would like to read it to you. And as I said, the, the contemporary fathers speak exactly the same as the ancient fathers, if they're true fathers. But they use a language a lot of times which is more what we are used to, when we can sometimes read ancient fathers, like when you read these sermons of St John Chrysostom, a lot of times they're written in a style that was in those days and very hard to understand. But the contemporary spiritual fathers that we read and spiritual mothers, they're very, very, very good for us because it's easy and helps us to understand those things of orthodoxy. So that's why it's important to, to read those things. Now, once... There was a certain brother who was at New Skeet. That's the, that's the Skeet. The New Skeet is, a, is a, like a, it's like a village. There's a lot of houses where all the monks live. In the middle is a, is, a, is a church where they get together for feast days and Sundays. But each house also has three or four monks, two monks sometimes. And each house also has ch a chapel within the little house, like a little hut, like a house. So Elder Joseph, with his brotherhood, the Hesychus, he lived here, and Elder Haralambos lived there too. Anyway, so it says there that once a brother who was at the New Skeet, he fell into doubt. He had doubt. And the devil brings doubt into all of us. That's a common thing. Some saints went through excruciating doubt or unbelief. They God allowed great trials on them so that when they come out of it, they will be able to help others who also fall into doubt. Like a lot of Christians, everyday Christians, fall into doubt. Sometimes we get blasphemous thoughts that God doesn't exist or is there any point in struggling or is there such thing as heaven or hell or all these type of things. So uh, this brother, he fell into this doubt. So don't think that we're not going to fall into it. We all, we, if we're struggling, we will have doubt and we have to learn how to fight doubt. So he... Um, he, he had doubt and he said to himself, we keep prayer, we pray, we keep vigil, we stay up late, you know, like for hours praying. This is well and good, but do we help others in this way or only ourselves? That's an accusation that people in the world say, oh, monks and nuns, they don't care about the world. Look at the Catholic monks and nuns. They've got schools, they've got hospitals, they've got all these different places, they've got old people's homes and they do work. And, uh, but the Orthodox, you know, they don't, they just sit and pray all day in their monasteries. They don't care about the world. Now that in itself is blasphemous, ridiculous and really ignorant. A true monastic is one who is focused mostly on prayer. That practice that the Catholics do is actually not even really fully in the monastic tradition, even though there were monasteries that, you know, had 
uh, that did help the poor and did a lot of things like that. But in general, monasteries are for prayer. Pray for what? They pray for themselves and pray for the world. They say monastics aren't social. They don't help people. But monasteries pray for the poor, for the hungry, for the widows, for the orphans, for those who are lost, for those that travel by sea, land and air. They pray for good weather. They pray for those who are sick. They pray for those who are dying. They pray for those who have died. They pray for those who are grieving, for those who are afflicted. They pray for women that are pregnant, people on drugs, people that are alcoholics, people that are married, for children, for babies, those who are contemplating divorce. They pray for those who are contemplating suicide, those with mental problems. They pray for everyone. You go, oh, what's the point in praying? We know from all the elders that we've been reading lately that we see the strength of prayer. Saint Sergius, if I remember of Rondonez, which is the Russian saint, actually prayed for Russia, maybe I'm wrong, I think it was that one, to be delivered from war. But a lot of the saints prayed. Great saints. Just one person, one holy person's prayer could spare a whole country. And people say, oh, what's so special about praying? Another thing I wanted to say is uh, people think that monks are lazy or nuns are lazy. They just sit in the, in, in, all day and pray. i tell you one thing. When I went to the monastery of Grigorio, I think if I remember right, which is next to the monastery of Elder Haralambos. It's, I think it's next door, if I remember right, close. And I was there, and they used to have a practice, as I've said before, that they used to take the, some pilgrims, the ones that were there, to the cemetery, sit down, and then they used to discuss spiritual matters. And the monk that was in charge would speak to the pilgrims there about, about death, about life, about spiritual things and things like that. And... I remember when I was sitting there that time, I don't remember much of what was said, uh, that was many years ago, over 20 years ago, but I remember the monk saying to the people, to all of us, it's easier to go and dig on the road all day, and you know how hard that is in the heat, to dig all day, that's easier than to pray. What's proof of that? I'll tell you the proof of that. No one hardly prays. Now, some pray in a pharisaical way, but in general, what I've noticed is in all my years, people that are in the church who do not pray, refuse to pray. And St. Ignatius Branchinov says, he, who, he or she who doesn't pray denies their salvation. By not praying, it's as if they're saying, I don't want salvation. That's how serious. I've seen people that have gone overseas on pilgrimages. They've gone to Jerusalem. They've seen the holy light. They've gone to Manathos. They've been to Serbia to monasteries. They've been to other holy places around the world. Some people stayed for one year. Others have stayed for one and a half years. Others have stayed for two years. They come back and, and basically and all those that I know that have gone to these places come back and they don't pray at all. Why? Because prayer is the most difficult thing. Never say that a monk and a nun who pray, a monk and a nun who prays, a priest, 
a priest who serves, for example, every day, or a monk or a nun who prays every day for hours, it's the most difficult thing. The demons hate with all their being a person who prays. Because when a person prays, they are communing with God. They are uniting with God at that time. And their prayers are so powerful, they can save a country. On Mount Athos, as I've said, where there's monasteries everywhere and there's all those little houses, they're all praying. There could be, you know, in one day there could be 100 liturgies going on, 200. I don't know how many, how many houses there are over there of all these places, monasteries, skeets, etc. Praying and, and serving liturgy every day and all the services. And they say that if we could see with our eyes Manathos at that time, we would see that the whole of Manathos is in flames. In other words, divine, that there is that prayer going on. If you could see with your spiritual eyes, it would be as if you're looking at fire coming from Manathos because it's set alight with the prayers of the monastics. And that's why monastics are persecuted. The backbone of the Orthodox Church is her monasticism. Monasticism is the backbone. And that's why the enemies of the Orthodox Church, especially the West, has had one aim, to knock down Orthodox monasticism. Any time there was persecution, when the communists took control over Russia, the first thing they went for is the monasteries. Close to the monasteries and... That's where we obtain our spirituality. Away from the monasteries, all you learn is intellectual and some, some things that they teach at these theological places. Dry. They speak about God with nothing monasticism, not the beautiful, the grace that comes from, from, the, from monasticism. And their words are dry as a bone. And they don't inspire anyone. Now, let us be inspired by a monastic story. So this brother had doubt, like we all have doubts at times. But one of the worst is when the devil comes along and says, there's no God. That's a pretty, pretty heavy uh, temptation. Those of you who have had it will know. It's quite scary. Uh, so he says, you know, we don't help others. The devil put in him the same thought he puts in people in the world. Monastics don't do much. They need to take care of themselves. Although he was preparing to confess this thought to Elder Haralambos, the elder got in first and with a face that seemed deeply moved, said to the brother, so what I said before, how do we get rid of our thoughts? Well, first we try to fight them. You don't have to run to a priest for everything. First we try to fight them, ignore. Most of the time you ignore. While you're reading something, some stupid thought comes, ignore it, keep on reading. Within about five, ten seconds, you even forget what you say. Ignore. Don't think about it. Just continue to read. However, if the thought keeps on coming, then you begin to pray, you struggle, and then if the thought keeps on going and going and going, especially thoughts to sin and other things like that, then if it's become too strong and you can't get rid of it, you go and confess it. In the monasteries, they had the luxury to be able to confess every night. 
in the world, people don't have that luxury to be able to confess every day like they do in Optinus and the monasteries in Greece and Russia and things like that. So uh, we go on there. So the elder knew the thought of the monk, being that he's a, that he's a spirit-bearing elder. He knew, God enlightened him and knew what the monk was thinking. Tonight, my, And then he said to him, Tonight, my child, God showed me the following frightful sight. A lot of times, the elders don't say, you were thinking this, this and this. What they do is they give a story, they'll give a story relating to what you're thinking and help you to understand. So he says, Tonight, my child, God showed me the following frightful sight. As I was praying, it seemed for a moment that I was in a large refractory, which is the dining room of, the, of, of, a, of a monastery. I was standing in front of a door which looked like the royal doors of the altar, as we see in the church. And I was there, and I was, there was a whole line of people, and I was giving out food. And I could see you there as well, my child, meaning the, the, the monk. And you were cutting what looked like prosphora, and you're bringing them to me. And there were two lines of people, the elders saying, Elder Haranbos, there was two lines of people in front of me. And I was giving them a piece of this bread, this prosphora, what it looked like. And then, then they left happy. And I could see that in the lines there were people who were familiar to me. People who I had written on my lists, both the living and the departed, for the commemoration in the divine liturgy. Remember, the elder Haranabha served every day. He was a person who loved to serve every day. He believed in the liturgy. And the brother said, Elder, what you said was for me. You solved my query. Now I understand what benefit prayer has and the commemoration of names for all the people during the proskomidi, during the time that the, that the priest reads the name. Remember, we said that some saints would, as they were commemorating the priests, so the priests, sometimes they took so long because they had so many names and people would complain. And these brothers, they would help the priest and read names. And sometimes they would read names for hours. And obviously this monk was getting tired and go, what's the point? What's the point? And then saying to himself, are we really helping anyone or are we only helping ourselves by being here? Before we go on to the next part, it's just interesting to look at this thing about the elder having the insight. We have gone through this in talks 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, I think, where we spoke about Elder Paisios in detail. I think we did around five, five, five talks there. And Elder Porfirios in detail about their clairvoyance and their insight. We've gone through all that. That helps us now to understand these future talks. But there was one point I forgot to perhaps mention in those talks about how the elders knew thoughts. One day, some people came to visit Saint Anthony the Great in the desert. Remember, Saint Anthony lived in the, I think he died around the fourth century. And he was famous. They knew that he was a great elder. A lot of people gathered around him. Thousands of monks came to him to live the, the life in the desert. And some people came to him. And Saint Anthony said to the people, um, I knew you were coming from before you came. And then the visitors said, how did you know, Father, that we were coming? He said, the devil told me. Now, I'm going to stop there. The devil told me. This is in the Yerondiko. What does that mean? The devil told me. What does the devil talk to the saint? How can this be that a great saint is saying that the devil told him? We don't communicate with demons. 
unless you're a medium where you speak in supposed to the dead. They communicate with demons. But in the Orthodox Church, we, d- we don't communicate with demons. But St. Anthony, this great saint, it's as if he's saying he's communicating with demons. Who can explain that? Does anyone, can anyone explain what he means? Helena, yes? That's correct. The, what this proves to what this shows us is that not every thought that a person has is from God or from the... We don't know. A thought that we have can be from the devil, it can be from God, from, or it can be a human, just a, a memory. It just comes up in our brain, which is very complex. There's three sources to our thoughts. In this case, St. Anthony was teaching something, and he was teaching something which was very significant. What he was teaching was that the devil can give us information that is correct in order to make us fall, which is what I think I was saying to Anna, if I remember right, where I was saying that we can have thoughts, oh, a person died on that day, That's good, or that's bad, or that means this, or that means that. But are these thoughts from God? This is where the spirit-bearing elders and and the mothers of the church have the gift of clairvoyance. They have the enlightenment to know. That's what discernment means. Discernment is to be able to know what's from God, what's from the devil, what's just a human thing. And as I said before... Not even the, uh, many priests, including myself, have that knowledge. This was something especially given to those who had purified themselves and that were great saints. St. Anthony is saying there that the devil told me, but the thing is, what we didn't pick up is that he knew it was from the devil because he just said it. The devil told me. He didn't say he took significance, just saying, the devil told me, and I knew it was from him. How did he know it was from him? Because he was holy, because he had the Holy Spirit, because he was enlightened. We're not. We're full of passions. We've got hate and jealousy and envy and vainglory and pride and every filthy, disgusting thought and everything else that's in us. How then can we boast and say that we can know when thoughts are from God or not? And this is where people get mixed up and these people who are far away from the church, especially non-Orthodox, where they listen to these people and gurus and other things. They go, oh, he told me, he told me this, he told me that. And they go, he must have some special power. It doesn't mean that. So remember that story, the devil told me. Since you are interested, my child, Elder Haralambos goes on, I will tell you something even more amazing about the prayer rope and my elder's life. Who was his elder? Elder Joseph the Hesychus. My elder had a cousin in the world, even though she didn't lead such a good life, my elder loved her dearly. So the elder Joseph, the great Hesychus of the 20th century, had a cousin who was not really leading a full spiritual one, one can say, a life that he would think is proper. Um, One day he was informed that his cousin had died and actually not so spiritually good death. 
She was pulling faces, swearing and, and so on. And she was in such a state when she took her last breath. So she had what's one called like a bit of a, like a violent death. We've discussed this in talk two, that God allows that to happen also because that gives some cleansing of the person to die with that type of terrorisation. Um, it does cleanse them of some sins, how much, whatever. But, you know, uh, but also some people can be dying like that because of medication. I mentioned the medication last week or last time. That medication I read in the... Um, in the, in the list there, that one of the symptoms is the person can become like, you know, agitated, can imagine things. A lot of people, not in those days, but now, a lot of Medicaid have, have a really bad effect on people's psychology. So we can see someone having a really, like it looks like they're having a horrible death, but may not. Again, we need the discernment. Things have changed a lot. We can't apply exactly the same principles that we could back in the old days because there is too much, there is a lot of problems, especially because of the advancement of medical science, especially with medication. Most people now that are dying because they're depressed, they don't want to, their people think, oh, they don't get them, they're going to get upset that they're dying, and they pump them up with all these drugs, and these drugs have very bad effects. Now, some people are really not well, and these things are necessary. But in general, it's very hard to know what's going on with that person. But that's the, that's the times we live in. And that's why we all should pray, all of us, myself, all of you, and those who will listen to the talk, we should always pray like they do in Mount Athos, where they say, Lord Jesus Christ, grant me to be fully conscious when I die. Help me not to be under these medications where I'm out of it. I want to be fully conscious when I die so that I can repent and die in you. And there's no reason why we can't pray like that. We all should be praying for that. Like some of you pray to have bigger houses or whatever else you're praying for, which a lot of times is worthless. That's more important, I think, than having a big house. So... Pray that we all be conscious and to... Remember that man I said to you that he... There was this man and he was quite old and he, and he prayed. I didn't say whether the prayer was good or bad, but he did do the prayer. He prayed to God that he dies. He didn't want to die, as we say, in bed. He wanted to die on his feet. He just used that expression, I want to die on my feet. Now, is that good or bad? Well, we know that sometimes being sick for long periods of time are, are, are good for us. But the, that doesn't matter. Let's just look at his prayer. He prayed to God and said, I want to die on my feet. That's what he did. And he, and he prayed. Anyway, so as I said, some of you weren't here that time, that his wife, he was cutting the grass. He was cutting the lawn with, this, with, with the lawnmower. And then she noticed that the man was... In the backyard, the lawnmower was still going and the man was, was on his knees with his head down. So she thought to herself that she, he must have been praying with the lawnmower on. It was all quite strange. She went up to him and she found that he had passed away. What happened was that he was, he was there standing. He died. Within a few seconds, he had time to jump, to fall on his knees. And that's how he died, on his knees and crouched over like that, not even on the ground, upright. 
he got what he want. Now, whether that was bad or not, remember that God a lot of times does give us things when we ask for it. Not necessarily that it might be good. Now, whether that was good for him, I don't know because I haven't got the discernment to know. But the point is, if he got what he wanted, well, why don't we pray for something which is more worthwhile, which is help me to die fully conscious so I can repent of my sins and so I can leave this world with your name, meaning Christ's name, on my lips, on our lips. So she died in this, in this way. As soon as the elder found out, he started weeping. I found that strange, says the, the person who's writing this. Oh, sorry, this is Elder Haralambos. I found this strange that Elder Joseph was, was weeping for his cousin, that he was so sensitive and he was weeping so much. However, he understood my thought, Elder Joseph understood what the other person was saying, and he put, thinking, he pulled him up and said, my son, I'm not weeping because she died. Here we go. See the beautifulness? It confirms what the other fathers say. I'm weeping because she has been damned. What does damned mean? That she has lost her salvation. That's why I'm weeping. That's the true spiritual attitude that a person has. Not like I said before, where the person got married, didn't get married, studied or whatever, had children, you know, and all those type of things. And this is a fantastic example because this is a holy, God-bearing father. And through reading these books, we learn the correct attitude. Yes, cry, but cry for their spiritual state. And because he was holy, he knew... As I said, we can't judge to say, oh, because that person was pulling faces and the way they were swearing, uh, there's some drugs which can make a person swear and become aggressive and things like that, but it's not really themselves. So we've got to be careful. We cannot make judgments on people. He could because he was an elder and he had the insight to know that his poor cousin had been damned. Nevertheless, from that day... The elder gave himself to fasting and prayer for his cousin. After quite a few days, I saw my elder very happy and I asked him why. I will tell you, my child, having not rested all these days from praying and keeping vigil with fasting and tears. So when, a, when, a, when these ascetics pray, they know that prayer goes together with fasting. You pray and you fast. But what do we do in the world? Now, next week, we're going to start Lent. And there's a practice in Lent. The first three days, which is practiced strictly, is people don't have anything. So people who go to work, catch trains, work all day, don't even go to church, fast for three days. And then they wonder why that one doctor said to me once, this Greek doctor said to me, he goes, my best business is after fasts. All the Greeks come and they're all sick because they all fasted excessively. They didn't know what they were doing. And they all come, I've got a big line. He goes, that's my best business. <laughs> right? So when the monasteries fast for three days, during the first three days of the fast, which is called, I think, Clean Monday, Clean Tuesday, Clean... During the first three days, and then they break the fast after the pre-sanctified liturgy on Wednesday, that's when they can eat. I think they even go without water. It's beyond how they do it. But anyway, um, when they do that, 
They're not working on those three days. They don't do any monastic duties. All they do is pray and the services during that time are so long. Like we're talking about services that are 15 hours. I don't know how long that they're praying. So prayer with fasting. When you just pray and you don't fast, that's demonic. When you fast but you don't pray, that's demonic. Christ said this type only comes out with prayer and fasting. That's why we have a lot of trouble. People try to do Lent. Now, people will do it from their pride. They'll try and do no oils Monday to Friday while they're going to work, while they're going to school, while they're going to university. You know, I remember once I went to Greece and there was this Greek couple and uh, it was Lent. And the man's job was jackhammering. He was a person that used to work the jackhammer. And I went for a visit. I don't think he knew I was there, get it? In other words, he was out of it. And he ate that day bread and olives. That was his food while he's jackhammering. Now, if he loses control of the jackhammer and starts jackhammering jackhammering someone's chest, then you'll know that um, perhaps he made a mistake. Or people who have responsible positions with machines. Or women who have to take care of their children during the day and they're fasting and they're so out of it that they begin to hit their children. I've seen people like that too. Prayer and fasting. When we do a lot of prayer, we're meant to be going to the church. In the old days in Constantinople and in Greece, like in Greece, Monday is a public holiday. And in other Orthodox countries, that day people didn't work. They did no farming, they didn't go to work, they didn't do anything. They went to church for long hours. People are mixed up today and I'm very, very upset when I speak to people and they talk about nervous breakdowns and having to go to doctors and go on psychiatric medications, this and that. And it's so easy. They sometimes they think that I'm clairvoyant. I'm not clairvoyant. It's just called, it's just called common sense. I say to them, when did you have the breakdown? And it's pretty much always during or after a fast. People that could already be on medication to some degree which a lot of medications today are really strong. These medications didn't exist in the old days. These are very, very powerful drugs. And a lot of times these drugs take out certain vitamins, B12s and all these vitamins which are found in certain foods. So these people are fasting. They're not getting protein, the right things or things like that. A lot of times they don't even cook in Lenten food but eating rice crackers and just a little bit of fruit some sultanas, and all these type of things, and then they wonder why they become uh, mentally ill. So what am I saying? Not to fast. We always take what's called in Greek the royal road, the middle road. Not too much on the left, not too much on the right. We have to have discernment. We have to understand that these fasts We keep, not like the Catholics who abolished the fasts. The Catholics said, oh, it's too difficult. Let's abolish them. And now they don't have any fast, or they might have a bit of one on Friday, and before they commune, as they commune, they have one-hour fasting. We don't abolish fasts. The fasts are there. 
Yes, for the first three days, an Orthodox Christian should have whatever. I don't know. I think it's a no, no food at all, maybe water. I'm not even sure. I don't do it. Because if I did, I'd be at botany. That's me. Of course, some of you are great ascetics. It's a different, it's a different thing. I understand that. Um, great ascetics, but shortly dead ascetics. So... We have to have discernment. Be very careful. Now, this person, this elder Joseph, where did he live? He lived in, in a skeet in Mount Athos. Clean water. They used to have a bit of bread. A bit of bread. Not like the bread we eat now, which is full of chemicals. And that bread was filling. They might have a bit of vegetables. Not vegetables that we eat which is full of chemicals again, pesticides and things like that. But prayer and fasting. So when he started to pray, he connected it with the fasting. Of course, there are those who are truly sick as well, and obviously they can't fast as much. As I said, there's a lot of reasons. There's sugar problems, there's adrenal problems, there's hormone, there's thyroid, there's... As I said, some people are on medications for blood pressure, all these things. All these things have all different effects on people. You need a very good doctor and you need a good spiritual father to be able to kind of balance to know what's going on. Not just do it by yourself. When you do it by yourself, you cause problems, deception and breakdowns. And later on, a lot of people leave the church and go, oh, I'm not, I don't like the church. Why? Because oh, after I fasted, I got sick. So after a few days, he was happy, and he said, I tell you, my child, having not rested all these days from praying and keeping vigil with fasting and tears for my cousin, today I saw a happy and wondrous vision. As I was praying, I saw my cousin alive in front of me. She called me with great joy, and she said, today is the day of my salvation, the cousin said. Today I have been saved from hell and really should be Hades. Today, it depends on the translation of people, today I am going to heaven. Elder Joseph continued, he said during this time he also saw the late Father George, who we have a book on him as well, Father, Elder George Carcelides, which was a Greek saint. He died around the 1950s. The elder said he's a contemporary saint. He's a true saint. Hasn't been canonised, but Elder Joseph said, he's a saint. I managed to meet him before I came to the monastery. When I was in the world, I met him. And Elder Joseph said that this Elder George had put into his mind that if possible, to take out all the sinners from hell, from Hades. Hades. He put into his mind that he wanted to do that. But for someone to have that desire, what does it mean? He has to, one, have faith... But two, it means he has to be full of love. Do we have those thoughts? A lot of times we don't even think about our relatives. Why? Because we lack love. Why do we have frozen hearts? Because, as an abbess in the monastery said to me years ago, that the hearts of a lot of Christians are frozen because we are involved with worldly things, not enough spiritual. So um, he put in his mind, Elder Joseph said, this Elder George, to take out everyone from Hades. Every day he commemorated them in the liturgy. 
because he served like probably every day. Then he would go to the tombs. Listen to this. So he would pray the liturgy. He would do the liturgy. He would commemorate all these names, especially of the dead. Then he would go to the graveyard and he would start all day to read Trisayon prayers, which means in Greek, memorial, panahitas, as we say. And he would do all those for the dead, for the departed. That's how much he had, one can say, a good obsession. Because we've got bad obsessions. And we all know we all have obsessions. But that was a good obsession. An obsession, one can say using a bad word, or, or, or a desire, a love for the, for the people. And he would pray for them to get them out of Hades to prevent them going to hell after the last judgment. Now I saw him in a vision and heard him say to me with great amazement, this is what Elder Joseph heard in the vision, what Elder George said. Well, well, until today I thought that the dead were only saved with liturgies and memorial services, which is what he did. But today I saw and realised that the damned, that those who went to Hades, are also saved with prayer ropes. And again he said with amazement, the people are also saved through prayer ropes. That vision informed me, says Elder Joseph, that my cousin had been saved. But God also showed me the power of the prayer rope that can even take out souls from hell or prevent souls from going to hell. The right word is take souls out of Hades. Elder Haralem was deeply moved when relating this to the brother, gave the brother his blessing and said, go with my blessing, see that you exert yourself as much as you can in obedience and prayer, if you want to help yourself and others. The monks, through their obedience, the monks, through their prayer, obedience is above prayer. First obedience, then through the obedience is prayer, because if you're not obedient, then you'll do all prayers or things all over the place and fall into pride. So first the person has to learn obedience, which is the most important. Then comes prayer, and from that comes fruits. And what are the fruits? Holiness Holiness, salvation for the monastic who does that. And he or she, or monk or nun, is able to help everyone else in the world. Did you like that story? I found that um, for myself. I, was, I thought it was excellent. And it confirms what we've been reading in these talks. Actually, someone heard the last talk. It was sent to someone overseas, this last talk that I did two weeks ago. And the person, even though he's a monk, and even though, I don't know, priest or deacon, whatever he is there, he actually went bonkers. He said, I've never heard of people going to Hades. and uh, They don't. They go to heaven. And then there, when we do memorial prayers... They get their sins forgiven and they go closer to God while they're in heaven. That's a heresy. That's contrary to the Orthodox Church's teaching. Then, I'm not saying this to put this, this person down. I want you to learn from it. Learn from it. That's why I'm bringing that up. His soul is in God's hands. That's not the important thing. But I want to give you the example to help people, those who will listen to the talk and for you here. What did he do? 
even though he heard in the talk that Saint Nicodemus said this, Saint Mark of Ephesus said this, Elder Cleopas said this, Saint John Chrysostom said this, Saint John Damascus, all these saints, that wasn't enough. He went on the internet and looked up websites, different websites of people who were, um, or blogs or whatever that meant, that's like a conversation or something, and he sent me the, or sent over this conversation of someone talking about the dead and all these, these boring things. Orthodox people who go on these sites, really, you're not going to progress. It's a waste of time. And he sent this article on heaven and hell. And in it, it said that a person either goes to heaven or goes to hell, and at the second judgment they go and they receive the fullness of heaven or the fullness of hell. Nothing was said about in there about those souls who died in a way that were a bit unprepared, who are helped through the memorial prayers. There was no mention of memorial prayers, of liturgies, of alms giving, nothing of what the Holy Father said. So I thought to myself, why is he going to these websites and picking people or priests, or articles on this subject when we've got all the Holy Fathers. And he sent me an article which wasn't even... He didn't put who it was from. So what I did is I took the first line and put a Google search to see where this article came from. And it came from a, one of those blogs, whatever they're called. It was an article written by some person... So it said there, my profile. I suppose that meant the profile of the person who wrote the article. So I ticked on the profile and it came out that this person, he's got interests or something in orthodoxy and all that, he's from Russia. The Holy Fathers are not good enough for us, but we run, we run to listen to some websites and things like that. Not all orthodox websites are trustworthy. Not all articles. What I pick is I pick from people who are known for their holiness or because they hold orthodox theology, they are following the way of the Holy Fathers. I'm not a Holy Father. I'm only pointing and saying, this is what the Holy Fathers say. But the point is, a lot of orthodox people that I come across, they spend hours and hours on the internet on chat rooms and on um, blogs, whatever they're called, other websites and read things and every bit of rubbish that exists. We've got holy fathers, we've got books, we've got lives of saints. A person who wants to learn orthodoxy learns through the correct sources. Why go and eat rubbish and put it into our soul when we've got beautiful um, writings? And people love... Um, scandals and gossip and that priest did this and that bishop did this and that did that and that's what all internet's about if a person comes to me and says they want to be saved stop surfing whatever you call that word on the internet and stop going to these places all it is is the devil makes us do it so let's see now from another book that I picked for you which is as I said this book Eternal Mysteries Beyond the Grave compiled by Archimandrite Pandalimon, which I think was one of the establishers of the Holy Trinity Monastery in Jordanville. This is a very good book, and a lot of the stuff that I've been taking is from that book as well. And he says in there, we see then after death that there are two places open to the departed ones, paradise with its blessings 
and Hades with its dwellers and the evil spirits and its torments. The first of these places, paradise, is prepared for those who have spent their lives righteously. Those who purified themselves, those who were holy, they receive paradise. The second is for sinners. However, not all people die either as complete sinners or as complete saints, which is what, back to the question, which is what the Catholics say. They say the same thing. Not everyone is perfect enough to be a saint, but not everyone is evil enough to go to Hades and then lose their soul completely. But the Catholics say that they have a third place, which they call purgatory, where there's a fire that burns souls, and through their suffering, these people are released. But the Orthodox Church has no third place. That's when I said last time. So if the souls don't go to heaven... Where, are they, where do they go? And let's see what the Archimandrite says here. He says, however, people do not die complete sinners or complete saints. There are very much many who, although they die in their sins, did begin here on earth their penance and had in the depths of their souls the seeds of good and did some good deeds. So there are in that group of sinners people like ourselves, we are, we are sinful, all of us, who are struggling, we're trying to do good, but obviously we don't die um, in the purified state. So he says here, where will these souls be? Which is the question I asked two weeks ago. And he goes on, it can be seen in the Holy Scripture and particularly in the practice of the Orthodox Church as we read in the prayers and the chupari of the church, like I read before, that the souls of such people, although they will be um, in Hades, so he says that they're in Hades, are not without hope of receiving forgiveness of their sins and for salvation from the pains of eternal hell, which would be in the future. So here it is again. This person, bringing the tradition, he was, he was from Russia. He brought the tradition from Russia. He had access to holy books. And this is what is believed in the Orthodox Church. That you either go to heaven or you go to Hades. Those who don't make heaven go to Hades, which includes Orthodox Christians who did not make it enough to be saved. So he went up to that level, and I cut the other part off. He says how to help them. We already know how to help those souls. But let's go on. I'm going to read now a quote. And this quote is from a Holy Father of the church. Like I said to you, when you hear the name St. John Chrysostom, you stand in your soul. You don't have to physically stand, but your soul stands at attention. Where God is, that's where St. John Chrysostom is, we heard from that, uh, from that account. Another great holy father of the Orthodox Church, which is what I'm going to read now, he's, is St. John of Damascus. And he's the one who compiled the funeral the funeral traparia, and a lot of the traparia that we sing in church about the dead, he's the one that put that together. Uh, he's the one that was slandered and he, the Muslims cut his hand off and then he went to the icon and he prayed and that's when that icon's got the third hand down there because the mother of God healed his hand and he went to the monastery and all these things. I don't want to go into that. We'll go another time. But the point is he's a great father. Let's see what he says. This is his words. Every man who has in himself 
even a little of the yeast of virtues. That's the same of us. We need some yeast in our souls, even a little bit of good works, a bit of struggle to help our soul to rise towards God. And it says, but has not yet turned into bread because despite of his goodwill, he wants to struggle. He was prevented either by laziness or by carelessness or by procrastination. Procrastination is when we keep on putting things off. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to prepare for communion. I've got to read that book. I've got to do more prayers. I've got to visit that person in the hospital. I've got to go and help my mother or this or that. These are what we call procrastination. We keep on putting it off. Or when we do do them, we do them in a way that's careless. Cursed is the person who does the works of God in a careless way, says somewhere in the Old Testament. I've forgotten. I think it's um, wisdom. I'm not sure. Uh, Proverbs. And procrastin- so we said procrastination and laziness in general. So that person has, says, has been unexpectedly overtaken and mowed down by death. The person dies suddenly and he hadn't had time to fulfil his duties as an Orthodox Christian. Every such man will not be forgotten by the just judge and Lord. So that's hopeful. So he never had time to, he or she never had time to fix themselves up. But God will not forget them because of their want and because they were still doing some struggle. It says after his death, meaning the person, after his or her death, the Almighty will inspire his relatives, his friends and neighbours to help him. He will turn their thoughts and heart towards the departed man and will influence their souls to render assistance to the dead. And that is true. God allows the person to think about someone. And and that's happened, as I said, even to myself when I serve. And I'm serving there and all of a sudden a name comes. Another name comes. And different names come and you say, well... Let's commemorate those names. And God inspires the priests. God inspires the monastics. But God also inspires the pious Orthodox Christians to pray for those people. What's really horrible is when a person dies and no one remembers them. And no one remembers them. I was speaking to a priest the other day and he said to me, a story which shows this. He said, I had an uncle and an auntie. They were from Greece. And they were involved in these properties and properties and properties all the time and, and they should have divided the property so that when they die, the children from the other relatives are not going to fight and go to court. That's a big sin. And even in the Rada, in the Pidalion, in the, in the Rada, it says, fix your business up. Don't leave behind a mess to make people fight and have problems. That's a sin. You've got property, whatever you've got. Fix up your business. Not so that your children left behind can fight each other and kill each other. That people have killed each other for property. So this couple had this obsession with property and property and they wouldn't divide it because they didn't want to give anything to the other relatives. And then... They died. The, the, the woman died. And this priest said, 
No one told me. He goes, I found out nine months after she died that she died. Nine months. I could have done 40-day liturgies. I could have done this. I could have done that. No one. And her relatives wouldn't have done anything. They might have done a memorial prayer in the church, maybe three days, the nine-day, 40-day, some little things for pharisaical reasons of, so people can see them, not even knowing the significance of it. And that's it. And then he found out about it. About a year after she died, the husband died as well. And he said, the same thing happened. No one told me anything. We can guess that perhaps, perhaps something's not right here. Then the priest was saying, every time I would serve, do the service, I don't know why, my brain just kept on forgetting their names. Their names would not come to my mind. I'd say, I've got to remember, I've got to remember that name. And then again, and then he just kept on forgetting to put it on the list. And then he'd go week after week and say, oh, I forgot my uncle and auntie. Oh, I've got to do that. And then again to forget, etc., etc. Now, these people cared more about property than their souls. They left behind children who were the same as them. All they cared about was property and money. Their children didn't care about their parents' souls. And even though they had a relative who was a priest and could have served, and even there he didn't even find out about it. And when he did find out about it, he kept on forgetting. Now, back to what I said before. Do we have the discernment to know that something's wrong there, like I said to the other lady that was here? And the answer is, well, I'm not going to absolutely say that, but there's a bit of a problem there. And we have to say... Let's learn from it. Instead of saying, oh, perhaps they weren't worthy, because how do we know? I think we can learn from that and say, at least to say, it's really bad that those people were not commemorated. I meet people, I go, how are you? They go, oh, my father died. Or my... I go, okay. Oh, I said, we'll put them in the service. Hmm. Hmm. Like that. Hmm. what's that? Grunting away there. No, don't even understand. They don't even move. They don't even know. I go, they, I said, they really need 40-day liturgy. When some of the, I go, hmm. Don't even understand. They don't, they don't know. They don't care. They're not moved. And sometimes they go, oh, the priest said that he's going to serve them. Oh, I better give them something. And they, and they might see next time and go, uh, Father, uh, you know how you said you're going to pray for my parents or for my father? Here's a for donation for the um, service, $10. And then you might say, oh, that's so cruel how you are as a priest. How can you say that? Yes, because to me that shows such a lack. Okay, don't give it for the service. Give it to the poor. Go give some money to the poor. People have no understanding of helping their dead and parents leave such children behind. And even if your children, that you tried to help them to become spiritual and they, you know, and they just decided not to do it, 
You should still blame yourself. However, how about relatives? How about other people, neighbours, etc., who can be inspired by God? So it's true that God does inspire those who are worthy to be inspired. Now, who's worthy and who's not? I'm not saying. That's what, the, that's what St. John says. So God will inspire the relatives to do that. And when God, when God will thus move them, when the Lord will touch their hearts, they will make haste, and this is, the, uh, this is my favourite part, it says, when God enlightens the relatives, friends, etc., to pray for them, these people will make haste to make up the negligence of the dead. Some of you passes the mind. I remember when I heard some talks of a preacher, uh, Demetrius Panagopoulos, as I said before, he was a lay preacher. He wasn't even a theologian, but he was a fantastic preacher because he lived his, he's lived his orthodoxy. And I remember once I heard a talk about the dead when I was younger, it was in Greek, and he actually said this statement, which was quite shocking to me because I was very um, just young in the faith. He said, sometimes it's better for people to die. It's actually better for them to go and for their relatives to, to commemorate them and help them. They've got more of a chance than if they stay on and keep on doing sins. And uh, God will take them at a, at a time where they are the best time, whatever it might be, we might think, oh, he died suddenly and he died, with no he died with no repentance. But we don't know that at the time that that person died, that during that day they had thoughts, I should be changing my life, I should, you know, pray. And maybe they did a little prayer. We don't know what people are thinking. We don't know what people are feeling. All we know is that God is so loving that whenever he takes anyone, he takes them at the best time. And then St. John of Damascus says that... Those who will pray for those souls make up for that person's negligence, for that person's laziness, for that person's procrastination, for that person's carelessness. That's what he said. It's better for some people to go and to pray for them. People don't understand. They go, oh, my person died. No, the person died. Now it's time for you to start working for their soul. That's a podvig. Saint Xenia, that was her ascesis, her podvig, was that she took on that as a fool for Christ for the salvation of her husband. The same as we as Orthodox Christians. When someone dies close to us, we must take on the asceticism, not just to do the three-day fast with no food and drop dead, we do, there's other things, there's a lot of things people can do, and one of them is to pray for our dead. That is the highest form of love. St. Maximus the Confessor says, the greatest love is when we care about our loved one's souls, when we think about their souls. That's the best. Not whether they get a degree, whether they go to university, whether they get married, or whether well, we do all that is obviously. But the most important thing is what happens to their souls. So that part there, and that was written by Saint John of Damascus. He confirms that there are those who die not fully prepared and who are helped through the relatives, etc. And how do they help them? Liturgies, money to the poor, doing good deeds in their name, 
um, fasting for them, praying personally, giving their names to monasteries, liturgies, etc., etc. Those who, after their death, now this is um, back to the old, this is back to the book Archimedrite Pandalimon. It says, "Those who, after their death, fall into Hades, receives receive mercy not for the sake of their own repentance, which we said that." For that's too late, there's no repentance in Hades. But for the sake of the deeds of mercy performed by the still living and for the sake of the prayers raised for them by the church in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who has taken upon himself the sins of the world and has given us the sure promise. And that promise is where Christ says, if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. When we pray for the dead, we are taking that not what the Protestants say, oh no, that only applies when we pray, we can only pray for the living. They're mistaken. We pray for the living and the dead. And when we're praying for the dead, we are showing two things. One, that we have faith. We have faith, one, that the soul keeps on going. We have faith that Christ is the one who can help that person. We have faith that all these liturgies and all these things help that person. And secondly, we show our love. We show that we truly love that person because we will not rest until we do all that we can to make sure that soul is eased. Not to make flowers and nice big graves and things. Don't waste money on those things. I'm going to say a story, personal story, and if you listen to my old talks, I never really talked about myself. It wasn't something that I liked. But I found out later on, from what I've heard, that people say that it's quite beneficial and that people learn from it. And it's a very private thing, which I've never really mentioned before, not even to those around me. And I'm going to say it for two reasons. One, because I want you to learn from it, that what I'm saying... And two, I'm going to ask some favour from you at the end. Now, with my parents, my father passed away before my mother. Now, he used to go to church sometimes, used to go on Easter. I remember we had a shop and he used to close the shop and go to Pascha, um the night and things like that. But he never read the Bible. You know, he never, he, one good thing was he never changed his religion. He always stayed Orthodox. But he wasn't a practising Orthodox Christian. He didn't read books. He didn't really struggle. He didn't know about that stuff, nor did he make any attempt to do it. So, but later on, towards the end of his life, the last few years, um, which I believe was as a result of my visit in the monasteries where a lot of spiritual fathers would say, what's the name of your mother? What's the name of your father? And they would take the names down and they would pray for them. Towards the end of his life, about the last year or a half, two, he began to go to church every Sunday, but still never knew much about the spiritual life. And when I was interested in becoming a monk, he never obstructed me. He let me be free. That's good as well. However, when he was very sick, he expressed to me that he was scared, which he never said before. And in my way, because I was only in the church, knew myself, I was only in the church for about a year and a half when he finally passed away. And I said to him, well, you know, to the best of my ability, that, that, that there's a life after, etc., etc." And then I took the... I wasn't a priest. And I took the opportunity to say to him, you know, if he confessed, he said that he went once to confession. And I said, did you mention certain things 
that I, that I knew that it happened when he was younger. And he says, no, did I, should, I've, should I've mentioned that? And I said to him, yes. You said, well, I will. And what happened, he, has a, he had a heart attack. And even though while he was sick and while he was dying, just at the last moments of his life, he was looking at the icons, he was praying, he was asking for holy oils to be put on him, and he was asking for prayers and things like that, he passed away. Now, my mother obviously changed a lot after he passed away. She began going to church more. But she was different. She used to confess more often, commune more often. I don't think my father... I don't even, have a, I don't even know if he even communed. She used, to go, she used to read spiritual books. She used to love Elder Joseph. She used to try and do prayer rope. She used to um, love reading the lives of saints. One of her favourite lives of saints was... Saint James the Persian, and she would say to me, "Ah, oh, remarkable how they cut off each one of his um, fingers, and then the toes, and then they cut off his hands and his legs, and at the end it was just left like that." And that used to inspire her. She used to love reading that as well, and she loved all those other monastic books and things like that. She would, um, she used to like um, giving, making cassettes. She would stay by herself and copy cassettes of talks and then she would go to the church and give them to people and a lot of times she would just give them randomly she'd go up to a person and get their hand put it put it in their hand and, and and walk off person didn't even know who gave it to them and she was hoping in that way that that person so she found her ways of spreading the word of god she gave out pamphlets she would make photocopies with her pension money, whatever she could. So to me, that's what's called fruits of repentance. It's different. We need fruits of repentance. We need to show our repentance by our deeds, which I didn't have time to do. We'll do it next time. And she did all that. And then she became sick. And she became, like she got motor neurone disease, which means she became, she started to slowly get paralysed. Now, if you can get what I'm going to say, first her fingers started to go and then her toes and then her feet, etc., etc. So at the, end of the, at the end, all that was working was her eyes. And when she would become quite hopeless at times, because that's a horrible disease, I would say to her, remember that you read St James and you really love that story. Perhaps did you make a prayer while you were reading it that you would... You're inspired to follow that type of thing? I said to her, and then she looked at me strange. Um, and then I kind of realised that perhaps I think she did. She couldn't speak at the end as well. Anyway, and then I, something came to me to also tonsure her. So she was tonsured, um, a nun. And then a few months after that, while well, she was fully paralysed, by the way. And a few months, and she wanted that. And after her tonsure, she was quite bright. She was completely different. And then she passed away. And then she was straight away, liturgies, liturgies and things like that. And, um, and I'm not saying this because it's my other people are going to say, oh, you're only saying it, but, you know, and you want us to believe. I'm going to say the truth. This is what happened. And whether you want to say I'm trying to be biased, I'm not interested. I'm on, I want to tell you what happens to help you. What happened was that during the service... Because we kept her over all night. She didn't. She was said to me before she could, when she was, when she could talk. I don't like the fridge. I don't like the f funeral parlours. And I said to her, "Don't worry. I will 
make sure that you never see the fridge. I don't know why, she just didn't like those fridges. She didn't want to go to the fridge. And then I worked that out with God's help that we took her from the hospital straight to the church. And then we stayed all night and did an all-night vigil. Now, my mother was very sick. She was 70 years old. And as you know, she was wrinkled and white as a ghost and quite a sick person because she wasn't even eating. You could only syringe a bit of food into her. Really, I think she should have had a tube. Um, but the doctor never really said that. And uh, she was quite ill, very, 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 very ill. But what happened during the time of the service, which shows you the importance of the commemorations, I rang up Greece and America, and I told a lot of people to do the liturgies, sent the money later, 40-day liturgies, so people were praying. I was a priest by then, and I was doing the all-night service. And during the night, as the service was going on, I became shocked because, and other people that were saw it, and some people that are in this room saw it, that she became younger, like her face changed such that the wrinkles left and she looked more like 30 years old rather than 70. And I've got pictures too. And uh, I was a bit shocked because at one stage when I was doing the service there, I thought she was alive. And I got a bit shocked there. And then she became younger and younger and younger. When the funeral person came in the morning to pick her up, and um, he saw me doing things there, adjusting her and all that, and I went in the same car as the coffin to go to um, there, and he said to me, oh, that was very strange. I said, what? He goes, she was flexible. That's really strange for that to happen. He goes, I've, I've never really seen that except for one other time. I said, oh, really? Who was that, by the way? And he said to me, it was a Russian Orthodox priest or something like that, he said to me, which, in other words, it might have been a monk. It might have been a priest monk. That is a special grace that is given to monastics. Monastics don't enter into the state of what's called rigor mortis. They don't become stiff. They stay flexible. And it was summer. It was the 6th of December that she passed away. We kept her all night. And before he left in the night, he said to me, look, here's this spray. Spray around the body because it will start to smell. Because they didn't, you know, they take out the blood and all this stuff that they do at the funeral to preserve it. She never had any of that. And I said to him, OK, I'll leave it there. And he goes, did you use it? I said, no. He goes, well, she's not smelling. I said, no. And he was quite surprised. This is, as I said, that's a special grace of the monastics. But what I'm trying to say, was she saved? I'm not saying she was saved. I continued to do memorial prayers. But as a priest doing memorial prayers, priests sometimes feel certain things. Sometimes you feel, when you're commemorating someone, you feel something strange, and sometimes you feel something different. Now, as I said to our friend that asked the question before, we must be careful not to make conclusions because it can lead into deception. I've always been afraid to actually come to the conclusion that when I would commemorate my father, I would feel not very good. When I would commemorate my mother, I felt much different, but I never told anyone and I never wanted to even think about it like that because I was always scared of deception and things like that. And it was only after I started to read a lot that I realised that it says a person must die with fruits of repentance and if they don't have fruits of repentance, meaning that they don't do good works and deeds and things like that, 
reading, almsgiving and all those things, then, they, then they're not saved, they go to Hades and there they must have prayers to help them. Personally, I believe that for my father that his son became a monk and became a priest and we do services continually and, 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 and. He still needs a lot of help. That's what I feel. And that's, as I said, that you just kind of get that at times as priest. There's a lot of times when people say, give me a name, and then you commemorate. And you commemorate, and as I said, you feel a bit yucky about something. You go, why is that? Ignore, ignore, don't. And then later on, you might ask the person, what's this name you gave me? What's going on? He goes, oh, that person is really blasphemous. He's really this and this and that. And I go, well, you know, it's very hard for me to commemorate that name. Other priests have said the same. Or you might feel different. You go, what happened with this person that you gave me to commemorate and that's died? They go, oh, they really had a blessed death and they really struggled and this and that. So sometimes these things occur. Not always. The elders were able to know continually. Sometimes priests, even sinful priests like myself and others, sometimes God gives us that because of the priesthood, not because of our personal sanctity. Now... Just like you people can be enlightened to pray for someone that's passed away, it doesn't mean you're holy. God has inspired you, then go and do your job and just do what you have to do without thinking, I've got powers. Don't have that mentality. Just go and do your job. That's the same here. So why I mention that is to show you that this teaching of the church, which St. Mark of Ephesus, where the icon is in front, where he teaches that a person may have confessed their sin, but it's not enough. They also need to produce fruits of repentance. And if they didn't have time to produce fruits of repentance, they are in need of help. So the favour I'm going to ask is, if people feel that they've received a lot of help and that through these talks that's inspired them to pray for their relatives, etc., then I would ask a favour and say, OK, well, that's good. Now, as a return, I would like you people to also remember my father, which his name is Spiridon, and put him into services, etc. And those who listen to the talks, they can do the same because I believe that he needs help. And this confirms, don't wait for others. Don't have that thing of waiting for others and leading a slack life. Which is, which is demonic. Don't have, not that he had that, but people do think, they go, oh, I'll wait and people will commemorate me. You have to die in a way that you are receptive to the grace of God. There has to be some good. I believe he's receptive, but there's a lot of work that's needed. I wanted to share that, not to say my mother's holy, I don't know about that. Not to say that my father's going to go to hell, I don't know that. All I'm asking is that and to show you is that um, I believe that we should pray for everyone. We don't know whether someone is going to make it, is not going to make it. We don't know that someone had a blessed end, whether they were saved. We don't know exactly what's going on. We don't have the discernment to know. But sometimes God does give some indication. To show you what I mean by that someone can be unreceptive. That's the right word. Yep. 
This is from Elder Ephraim of Katunaki, not the Elder Ephraim of America, an Elder Ephraim who was a spiritual child of also of Elder Joseph. And his spiritual children would often go to him and say, Elder, this person asked for prayers. And then he would say, that person has got this and that, or that's going to happen, or this, because he was holy. And other times they would say, Elder, we saw a person and we felt sorry for them and we want you to pray for them. And he would say, this person has that problem or this or that or is doing... He knew. Elder Porfirios, I, I know this for a fact that someone said, that when they would go to him, they would read to him, because he was blind by that stage, they would say to him, Elder Porfirios, I have a list of names. Can you at least cross them and bless them? So he'd be there and the person would read the names and he would bless them in the air and then John, yes, bless, bless. And then he said a certain name and then he stopped. And he goes, that person, that person has a lot of trouble. They're very troubled from within. And the person that was reading the name said, that's true. He is a very troubled soul. These elders do have this ability. So they would go to Elder Ephraim and give him names. Once they gave him a name of a person. And he said to this, listen to this. Now, I often believe this. But I didn't like to publicly say it because people are going to say, what is he saying that's wrong, that can't be true, and we pray for everyone, and doesn't matter what anyone's done, we have to pray for them. So he says, don't bother with him. This is Elder Ephraim of Katunaka speaking. He says, don't bother with him. He's unreceptive and is voluntarily driving God away from himself. I want you to focus. I know you're tired, a bit hot. Focus on that. A great saint. Because people say, you pray for everyone. You pray for everyone. No, even St. John the Apostle in his epistles said that you don't pray for those who are doing sins which are unto death. And we're going to go through that another time because we haven't got time. But this is telling you that this person was driving God away Willingly, he knew, and he was driving him away. And you say, oh, that's an exception. We don't do that. But I tell you one thing. There are many people who I know who are Orthodox Christians who even confess at times and even read a book now and then who are not allowing God to enter into their soul. Because when God enters into the soul then the person begins to see themselves, the person has to repent, the person has to humble themselves, and these people are so proud that they don't want to repent. And as a result of that, they are voluntarily driving away God from their souls. And that's what he's saying here. He says, don't pray for him, just forget about him. And that will wake us up where we become scandalised and go, oh, the church doesn't pray for certain people if they've committed suicide, if they weren't mentally ill, or if they became heretics. A person who got married outside the church automatically loses. They're not orthodox anymore. People who lead lives where they enjoy their sin, people who don't pray, people who don't struggle with their passions. Yet... When people give me names, I might have a name of a person who they say to me, Father, look, just so that you know, this person 
does not lead a Christian life. Be aware of that. Because strictly speaking, we commemorate those who are pious, orthodox Christians, like I said today in the church, have mercy on us of God according to our grace. Again, we pray for pious, orthodox Christians. And when we prayed for the dead yesterday, we pray for those who died with piety, those who died with faith. That's what the church is for, pious, orthodox Christians. So the person says, this person does not lead a Christian life, but this person is orthodox, he goes to church. So you go along and you're commemorating and you feel that this person is different in a better way than that person. So you begin to make inquiries. Not everyone who doesn't go to church, not everyone who does not lead a spiritual life is actually driving God away. A lot of times they don't even know about God because they weren't brought up like that, they're in ignorance, etc. They actually, in their heart, They've got a good spark. They're not consciously denying God. They don't even know about the church properly, even if they're orthodox. They don't know. While someone else who goes to church, supposedly reads and confesses and sings in the choir and helps in the altar and all these things, could be voluntarily driving God away because they're not allowing God to enter their souls to help them change their life from within. And a good example of that is what Christ said. Every sin is forgiven except for blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you will not be forgiven in this world or in the world to come. In other words, Christ is saying some sins can be forgiven in the, in the world to come. He's showing that. By saying he will not be forgiven in this world, the Protestants agree with that. Yes, there's forgiveness in this world. But Christ said, or in the world to come. In other words, Christ is saying some sins can be forgiven in the world to come. Anyway, back to the blasphemers. He says, if you blaspheme the Son of Man, it will be forgiven you. But when you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Some people believe that that means when we swear in the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that. What it means is this, as St. Theophilus says, when a person sees Christ talking with prostitutes, helping people, eating, not fasting. Remember, Christ did not fast. St. John the Baptist fast. In general, St. John the Baptist was more impressive than Christ in the sense of he was ascetical and people were more in awe. Christ was more ordinary by looking. And people would see Christ there drinking with publicans, people that were sinful, talking to them. And they would say... This person can't be a good person. Who's this person? And it says, the Holy Father say, they'll be forgiven. Even though they're putting Christ down, even though they are saying those things, it will be forgiven because it is logical that they, seeing this person doing that and associating with prostitutes and people that were bad and all that, of course, to bring them to repentance, the Father say they'll be forgiven them. Even if they don't repent, it will be forgiven them. They will be forgiven to speak like that. So when someone sees the Orthodox Church and they see bishops that are corrupt or bishops that are 
or priests that are for money or whatever they see or scandals or they saw, you know, they might hear that the priest did this or did that, whatever. And some people, not knowing the divine aspect of the church, they say, oh, what's the church for? It's all off. They can be forgiven too because they're not blaspheming God. They're blaspheming what they're seeing from the outside. They see an institution. And a lot of people are like that. They say, oh, I don't, I don't like the church and the priests and they do this or do that or this. It's all for money. I heard that they, that they don't even give any money to the poor. All these are scandals. And the, the fathers say, understandably, a person can come to that conclusion that will be forgiven them. But where the person's not forgiven is when they blaspheme the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Blaspheme the Holy Spirit is when a person sees Christ, and now I extend it, or the church, or the priests. When they see Christ doing miracles, raising the dead, making the blind better, and all these things that he did, when they see that, no man has ever opened up the eyes of a blind man. They say it themselves. When they see people that were crippled for 38 years and all these things, people that were possessed becoming better, they see that and they know it's from God. If they continue to say, oh, he's doing that with the power of the demons, which they did say it, then it says they will not be forgiven in this world or in the world to come because they are, as Elder um, Joseph said, they are voluntarily driving God away from themselves. They are purposely blaspheming the truth. All sins are forgiven. If they repent, it will be forgiven them. But when someone drives away God from their souls, later on it becomes very hard for that person to repent. So blasphemy of the Holy Spirit means that when we come to church and we see the divine aspect of the church, when we see the relics of the saints, when we see the, the work of the priest in healing people, when we see the holy water that doesn't stink, doesn't go off, while the Catholics put salt or chemicals in it, in their holy water, when we see the relics of the saints, the miraculous icons, when we see that scientists look at these things, they go, we can't work out why the icon's weeping or why this or why that. That means hey, this is not human, this is from God, and if that person says, I don't believe, then they're blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and that means that they are voluntarily driving away God from their hearts. That's why a lot of people who don't go to church, they're not driving voluntarily God away. They've got some good in them, even if they're fornicating. I've seen people who were living lives because they, they, they just don't even know. They might be having sex or doing whatever they're doing, and I feel close to them. Why? Because they're not really doing it because they are consciously going against God's commandment. They don't know. They, don't, they think it's normal. They don't, never heard of it. They never heard that that's bad. But yet, in their hearts, they've got a good soul, which means that God can bring them one day, and hence, in the Gospel, we see where Christ said harlots and publicans are coming to the kingdom of heaven before the Pharisees who were proud and from pride, they were voluntarily driving God out of their soul. That's what the Pharisees were. They drove out God. They saw the miracles. They saw Christ raise people from the dead. They saw everything. And yet 
they had such a mania that he be killed because of how evil they had become, because they voluntarily did what they did. Hmm. Well, I don't know how time passes and we got through so much. I have another three or four hours of stuff to go. But obviously, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, meaning that our spirit wants to go on, but our backs and our bodies can't do it. We've also got work, there's tiredness, etc. So, are there any questions for this last part? I think I basically treated the topic, I think, with God's help, that I, especially with the example of that with my father, I did that on purpose to, so that it can hit people to say, I'm, I am in that same position. And I tell you one thing, the more I think about that, the more I think to myself, I have to struggle, I have to try to be prepared, as we read in the tropari of the church, in our canons of repentance, try to be ready to meet death and not just to trust in people supposing they're going to pray for us. Because a person who has that attitude, if you have the attitude, oh, people are going to pray for me, what happens is you become lazy, 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 lazy to the point that you become unreceptive to the grace. So when you die, you won't be able to be helped. There was a storybook that went around, some pamphlet that went around. I don't know if they were given out to the churches here. In Melbourne, they gave it out. And this fellow rang me up and he said, Father, I'm very upset today. I went to church and they gave out a pamphlet and it said, unless you say the Jesus prayer, you can't be saved. And he goes, how can that be true? And um, I was a bit confused at that. But then later on, as I thought about it over the months, and I now have the answer, that's true. Unless one says the Jesus prayer, they can't be saved. Now, some can say, oh, because you're monastic, you're fanatical, that's ridiculous. We don't have to. What, I'm, what the Jesus prayer means, it doesn't mean someone who formally does it like the monastics, absolutely, even though that would be good, to say, Lord Jesus, to concentrate, to do it, you know, systematically. The Jesus prayer means this. This is all it means. Is that a person, seeing their sins seeing their weakness while they're struggling, they can't stop their passions, seeing their lack of repentance, seeing that they're lazy, seeing that they're doomed to go to hell, seeing that, that their love for God is really small, seeing the evil within themselves, the hate that they've got for people, the lack of mercy, all these things that are in us, the filth in our minds, the way that we like to do things that are worldly rather than spiritual. When we see those things... You don't have to do the prayer like we're saying. What it means is that a person with all their heart says, Lord have mercy from the depths of their soul. That's what the Jews pray. In other words, it's a person who knows that only with God's mercy can we be saved. Then the person just says, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, the sinner. Save me, etc. That's what the Jesus prayer is. If a person does not die in that state, understanding their souls sick, etc., then no. Salvation would be, I don't know if there's exceptions, which we saw some things like that. Um, well, we don't even know whether that girl, the cousin of Elder Joseph, whether she actually let out that prayer while she was swearing. We don't know. 
she was receptive to grace means that she must have had something in her. That's what it means by the prayer. So yes, it's true. So when we read these things, we go, oh, that's fanatical. Oh, that's monastic. Oh, that's stupid. That's that. It's not. It's actually correct. Okay, are there any questions before we go? Yes? I'd like to ask, um, if someone doesn't have time to confess to a priest and confesses to someone else in the family, just quickly, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling what I'm, I believe I'm my last hour or so, and confesses to the person, a family member or something, is that family member supposed to go to the priest and confess it after that? Again... You know, that what does that show? It means that the person didn't prepare themselves properly in the first place, so they were slack to some extent. Now, that can have repercussions in that the priest is the one who absolves sins uh, through God's grace given to him. If the person didn't have time and confessed to someone else, then, then after that we just say, well, that's in God's hands. We can't say whether that confession's valid, not valid, we don't know, it's in God's hands, but it's dangerous waters. It's like saying Gregory, I think of Nis, I think was one of them, it said, even when a person dies with some repentance, we don't know what's going to happen to them, which now confirms what we read, because how much repentance was it? He never had time to produce fruits of repentance. We put ourselves in danger by doing this. That's why all the church's prayers and the tupari and the saints is always saying, strive now while you're able to fix your salvation. Don't wait to last moments and things like that, which can be very dangerous. The problem there is that a lot of times we approach these people solely on the verbal and that's not good because we're speaking to them in a dry, in dryly. When we're going to speak to someone, we always ask God, we always pray for that person first that their soul be receptive. We pray for ourselves that God will enlighten us to know what to say. A lot of times we go and talk to people, as St. John of Franstein says, and just we become, we make the situation worse because we have not prepared ourselves, nor have we prayed for that person beforehand. And we go like what you call like um, abruptly, not that you did abruptly, but we go in a way like that. There needs spiritual preparation. It's not enough just words. And that's why the saints often would pray. They say, some people you can't talk to them, St. Elder Prophet said that, pray for them first and if God brings it for you to say something, say something. Like even when I come to the talk now, I don't just come like that. I have to prepare. Prepare what? By preparing the notes. That's, that's the least of the things. Preparation is that we always ask others and we always have to pray that God give the enlightenment to speak but also give the grace to the people who are listening to accept what's being said. So when I say it, I speak from experience. If I came here with no prayer, uh, if I didn't pray for people or for myself and came here, it would be 
what's called in Greek a salata. It would be like a complete mess. And that's what we do with people. We just go like that and speak to them. And people go, what do you, you know, it's like we're Bible bashers or we're causing trouble to their souls. We've got to be very careful. We need prayer before and after, etc. Everything is done with prayer, God's blessing, and then we proceed on with what we have to do. Is that it? Nothing else? Okay. Through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy and save us. Amen. Holy God, holy, mighty, holy, immortal, have mercy on us. Holy God, holy, mighty, holy, immortal, have mercy on us. Holy God, holy, mighty, holy, immortal, have mercy on us. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The choir of the saints has found the fountain of life and the door of paradise. May I also find the way through repentance. I am the sheep that was lost. Call me up to thee, O Savior, and save me. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. Thou who didst fashion me of all out of nothingness, and with thine image divine did honor me. But because of transgressions of thy commandments, did return me again to the earth from whence I was taken. Lead me back to be refashioned into that ancient beauty of thy likeness. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. I am the image of thine unnatural glory. Though I bear the scars of my stumblings, have compassion upon me, the work of thy hands, O Sovereign Lord. And cleanse me through thy loving kindness, and the homeland of my heart's desire bestow on me by making me a citizen of paradise. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. Keep rest, O God, to the souls of thy servants, and appoint for them a place in paradise, where the choirs of the saints, O Lord, and the just will shine forth like stars. To the servants that are sleeping now, give rest, overlooking all their offenses. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, the triune radiance of the one Godhead, with reverent songs acclaiming. Let us cry, Holy at O Eternal Father, and Son, also eternal, and Spirit divine. Shine with thy light on us, who in faith adore thee, and from the eternal fire rescue us. Now and ever, and unto ages of ages, amen. Rejoice, O gracious Lady, who in her flesh bears God for salvation of all and through whom the human race has found salvation 